Your life is yours to create. Yeah, maybe I only exist in your mind. So this is real as anything else. It seemed like I'd walked into an alternate universe. You haven't met yourself yet. I'm trapped. I want real human moments. I want to see you. I'm not in an objective, rational world. You can have any kind of sex you want. Seems like everyone's sleepwalking through their waking state or wakewalking through their dreams. So, you produce a neo-human, the individual no longer restricted by time and space. I'm just trying to get like a, a sense of, of where I am. Just wake up. Do you remember me? When I say love, the sound comes out of my mouth and it hits the other person's ear, travels through their memories of love or lack of love. It's like I'm being prepared for something. I am a passenger. On really romantic evenings of self, I go salsa dancing with my confusion. Everyone knows fun rules. You can do whatever you want to. Everything is possible. You a dreamer? You know it looks so good tonight. Yeah, I don't see too many around lately. Oh, the passenger. He rides and he rides. Nice. <clears throat> That's nice Iggy pop there. And yeah, the anytime you use the passenger in your trailer, I'm fucking in. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I mean, this is an interesting thing, right? Because how do you sell this movie um, right. <laughs> before it, before, you know, it kind of was a thing to even do this kind of rotoscoping um, in the very early days of it. Anyway, this is episode 65 of Movie Night Extravaganza. Uh, we are talking about Waking Life, the Richard Linklater movie. Um, very philosophical, very, uh, you know, spiritual, very uh, death-centered towards the end. I think that, that part is an interesting part to talk about because it seems like, you know, at, at the end, it's like, where can they really go from here? And then it's like, oh, right, death. Um, <laughs> I am joined by Jay Underworld, you know, illustrator, artist, uh, rotoscoper, not a rotoscoped artist, but, you know. Um, I am rotoscoped right now. Yeah, yeah not yet. Not yet. But yeah, no, no, no. But you're you watching a rotoscoped me. Um, I am actually just a stick figure. <laughs> exactly. Also joined by, you know, the, the bright, dazzling Conan Neutron of Protonic Reversal and Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. <laughs> Still the on top, baby. Changed, the jacket changes. The, the artistic shape of the jacket changes as, uh, you know, as you as you move. I tried to tried to put my most third eye looking bolo on for tonight, so I hope y'all appreciate what I do for this show. <laughs> and of course, exactly. we're joined by Ben Burgess, host of Give Them an Argument, uh, you know, author of Canceling Comedians While the World Burns, as well as Christopher Hitchens, What He Got Right, Where He Went Wrong, and Why He Still Matters. Um, yeah, long time. Welcome, man. Thank you. Long time coming onto the onto this onto this podcast, which obviously an offshoot of the give them an argument movie streams that we did um for you know yeah people time. uh yeah uh forest uh 
was uh, talking about movies on the second season of Given an Argument. The fans liked it so much he got his own spinoff show. <laughs> it's it's like Snoop Dogg to Dr. Dre, really. Right. <laughs> you know, this is, like, a... this is like one of those episodes of Frasier where somebody visits him from Boston. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How many references can we throw out there? Answer is a lot. It's uh, it's uh, all in the family, but like you know, when they suddenly had the um, I don't know, they they had the Jeffersons, Jeffersons. revisit them again after the Jeffersons got their own spinoff show. And, like, Jeffersons was a spinoff. I forgot about that. You yeah, that's was odd, uh, right? Yeah, Sherman Hemsley, big Gong fan, fan of the prog band Gong. Look that up on the internet, everybody. Like, turn this show off and look up that. It's a fascinating <laughs> story. <laughs> he was like, he was like their benefactor. It was wild. Anyway. I almost said Sanford and Son because I was rewatching our, uh, I was rewatching our last episode that we did, where, um, you know, where John Barber was talking about how he was the first person to to give uh, Red Fox a, uh, a a chance on TV. That was that was a wild fucking interview. And <laughs> we were truly where we occasionally talked about the movie in question, but yeah, mostly it was it was it was John Barber running wild. I mean, he, at one point, like you pulled my favorite clip, which is him saying that he thinks Dan Rather should be waterboarded, which is like, okay, there we go. <laughs> no, first he said Dan Rather should be hung. And then you were yeah. like, oh, well, maybe. And then he's like, or maybe. No, he, he says, yeah. so, so not, not to um actually that, but he, he, he said he he should be killed. And I said, well, he's on pay cable, so he's, he's pretty much already dead already, which he thought was funny, and that's a good showbiz quip. And then he said, yeah. like, he should be waterboarded. Well, I'm like, well, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is not where I expected the evening to go. Yet here we are. Yeah, so my, my, wild pivot, ride. my pivot to waking life is that you know a very different uh, type of conspiracy theorist, Alex Jones, appears in this. Um, you know, I I think that that's I think it's interesting because you know the post internet version of Alex Jones as like this national celebrity with uh, you know with, with prominence like to the point where I mean now he's fucking you know as he's like kicked off the internet pretty much. He probably is just going around in his car and yelling into the, you know, the the car speaker or whatever for everybody I hope to so. hear. But yeah, returning <laughs> to his roots, really. <laughs> but you yeah. know, it, it's 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 impossible to like uh, almost fathom at this point that like at one point he was just a public access, uh, you know, guy in in Austin and like you know just kind of like your neighborhood crank that was yelling into the TV and then you know and we talked about this last night. Um, I think the thing that really changed it was uh, when he like infiltrated Bohemian Grove in two thousand. Um, <laughs> which, which was John Ronson's thing. Alex Jones sidecarred along with that and basically took it over and built a career on it. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to be explicitly clear. Yeah. Right. But I mean, it's also in the early stages of the career. I mean, the political feel of it was very different. Like, even like five years after this movie came out in uh, Scanner Darkly, you know, he has a very similar cameo. And, you know, that's, that's 2006. And he's still. Um, you know, it's it's still it's still like the kind of Alex Jones who like like some like you know Austin like hippie leftist could be you know could be like oh yeah he's a little crazy but he's cool I like him yeah I saw him I saw him like you know smoking weed on the side of the road and like hanging out and fucking drunk with his shirt off and he was just you know talking shit to all of us and you know it's it's Alex Jones you know cable yeah. guy he gets um, worked up <laughs> <laughs> he gets all busy he gets all worked up. <laughs> I get a key bump from Alex Jones, and next thing you know, I'm just transported. Um, 
<laughs> minor sidebar i love that in that scene like the animation has him just gradually like, changing color and getting more like 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 great <laughs> use of it i mean in a movie full of great visuals like great visual yeah i mean on, on twitter we were talking about people who like it like their job is to be angry on camera and like alex yeah. jones is the ultimate version of that like and and that was like that was his defense at the uh at the like custody hearings for his kids that the uh that like you can't like take into account anything he says on air because he's just played a character. Yeah, which also, you know, then then everyone kind of just turn around and go, oh, you're just playing a character then. <laughs> Don't actually mean what you say. So it's kind of that fucking catch-22 where he <laughs> either has to admit that he's playing a character. and the, the No, people, I'm in every word. Let me tell you. you know, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is fabricated or uh, none of it is fabricated. He loses his kids or all of it is fabricated. He loses his fans. So it's like a, I don't know. I, I, I do like though like the Sophie's um, choice of assholes. Yeah. You can you can just watch like the transition of Alex Jones through like majority report clips. And there's times <laughs> where there's times where he gets like really I mean now he's like full blown with it, but like he gets worked up at Trump. Because obviously he you know, why wouldn't he have jumped on the Trump uh the Trump train, I guess, as you say, like or as you know, like but why wouldn't he have jumped on that? Like it's the first kind of you know, openly conspiracy theorist president. So, yeah, like, although course, although it was also <laughs> awkward for him because throughout the bush years and then the obama years he was like jones was making a big deal like his big thing was like the like national security state and you know spying on everybody and the fema camps and you know and all this stuff and then trump FEMA is running camps. oh my god i forgot yeah. about that yeah you know and then trump is running and like he's and like trump is just like going on alex jones and saying yeah we need to spy on moss more <laughs> and you know, and then Alex just didn't say anything because, like, what's he gonna do? Like, you know, he he has he has attached himself to this trade, like he's just gonna go yeah. with it. I, I mean, I'm sure he was devastated when Trump actually won because um it would have like he would have known the script, you know, if he'd lost, you know, that would have been perfect, right? You know, he really won, but the deep state got him, you know. But like this, like, what are you gonna do with this? Like, that's like I, I oh, guess so he like, won, people. I, I don't know, I don't know exactly what uh, just we're going to commercial, buy some supplements. At, at one at one point, my favorite one was Trump started fucking up, and Alex Jones was like, "Well, every, everybody knows that uh, there's a there's a thing where they drug whoever is the new president, and Trump's body is just so virile that uh, the, the, the drugs they put inside of him just are, are you know he's powering through it." And, and he's and too he virile, went, really. Yeah, <laughs> but he really <laughs> he had, went on this whole rant about how like the the drugs are you know Trump is fighting through the drugs, and when you see him seeming like a little tired and groggy and weird it's, he's like he's like don't worry he's he's powering through this and the deep state's trying to bring him down but they can't and <laughs> it's amazing like the, the cognitive dissonance it requires to maintain a character character because well, yeah, like it's that. i mean honestly it was a pretty good performance because like what do you like okay if you're alex jones you spent the last like 30 years building up this brand and then you've trapped yourself into this position where the guy you supported is president so it's like are you pro government now? I mean, like, 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 what do you do with that? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, folks, when I said all oh, government was terrible, I didn't mean this government. This government's actually okay, but the rest of them, not so much. Yeah, <laughs> there's no nuance when you're doing. By the way, am I the only one that ever thought of uh, Alex Jones as like he's just doing pro wrestling? It's like a pro wrestling thing, right? And I say that as someone, I'm avowedly, avowedly not a wrestling fan, but come on, like, do we? Yeah, like, well, I mean, clearly that's what this is, right? It's kayfabe is, is what you're seeing. You're, you're recognizing yeah. the kayfabe of Alex Jones uh, from the kayfabe of wrestling. And, and, you know, you can appreciate the kayfabe of wrestling and you can appreciate 
like Michael Brooks did, uh, the kayfabe of Alex Jones. Yeah. Well, the thing is that Trump was like, like okay, so so perfect example. Sorry, sorry to barge in, but it, it's what I do. Like yes. there was a thing with the with the orbs. Remember with Trumpy had the, yeah. like, there was those orbs, and like it was like they're just orbs, people. There's nothing crazy about. It. And it's like, what is you? Aren't you Mr. Illuminati, Bohemian yeah, this, Grove? Like, like that, global that, that image should have been like the should have been Christmas for Alex Jones. It would have been if the president had been anyone else. <laughs> yeah. I, and they're just like, oh, they're just orbs. It's just a standard orb. You know, it's like, what? Are you fucking kidding me? Right? It now? also like, let this, like, it also let your other, brand, dog. It let other conspiracy theorists like distance themselves from Alex Jones by being like, oh no, that's the CIA one. That's the one that's like, you know, yeah, those are the CIA the, orbs. They're like, no, not the orbs. They're like, that's that's the that's no. the conspiracy theorist that they've planted to like give you the wrong conspiracy. Oh theorists my god, I have. Yeah. So there were several like high profile conspiracy <sighs> theorists that were like, oh no, that's that's the uh, that's the planted opposition, and we we got the true stuff. We got the true conspiracy theories. You don't have to listen to that guy. He's a you know he's a he's a MAGA guy. Like fuck that guy. Listen to our CIA conspiracy theories, and they're totally different. And those orbs, crazy. Crazy orbs. <laughs> I, I I didn't expect to take this to such an orb-related discussion, but you know I'm I'm down with it. I think we're I think we're good. It's a good place we for us to be. We need to ponder <laughs> our orbs more. I think. Can they're I just say too? Their, they're pondering their orbs, Jerry. <laughs> Can I just say that uh, if you were to, <laughs> that's good. Uh, if you were to look at the overall review say on letterbox for some unknown reason you would think this is a movie about alex jones by the way with the amount of comments about it it's like this alex jones is in this for maybe two and a half minutes now they're a memorable two and a half minutes sure and that's in a, in a movie with a lot of memorable scenes but like sometimes i wonder i wonder how we're going to get out of focusing on these sorts of like micro niche things at the expense of everything else which is a much larger discussion than talking about waking life but i think it's a good topic to bring up because this movie is like basically you could call it conversation starter of the movie basically yeah. right i mean it's 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 not so many like I, there's so many big high level ideas being talked about <laughs> and 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 they only get like 30 seconds to four like to a couple minutes a piece like they don't focus on you know they don't hyper fixate on any of these ideas like they're a dream kind of, yeah they're kind of putting the ideas out there and you can like think whatever you want about them and they're like all right moving on to somebody totally different yeah right i mean the appeal of the movie is the i mean mostly the atmosphere but then like that the then like that it's it's just all interested right i mean some of it's like crazy and ridiculous but it's all interested yeah 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 exactly and one it, it, it's it's the logic of it, like moving so fluidly from one thing to another, I think it's actually, it's, it's people attribute it to laziness. It's anything but lazy. Oh. Like, I mean, that's like Linklater's thing. Like, he makes things that should be, um, seem very extemporaneous work. And, and they're actually very tautly set. And in a way that I don't think I understood before I finally saw, um, before sunrise before sunset mm. uh like that that series which is astounding and i avoid as telling force i avoided them for a while because we called I, I thought they were in uh the princess bride fred savage's character talks about them being kissing movies and they just uh -huh. want to see a kissing movie and i assumed that they were kissing movies and low indeed they are but they're also fantastic and when i was a younger man and i saw waking life and it had the scene with um uh with the two of the, the characters the julie delphi character and uh ethan hawk their characters reprising their roles from that film. I was like, what's this? I don't care about this. And I was like, this time, like, oh, great. I can't. Oh, my God, that's awesome. I can't wait to see this, which is great, because I think this for me, that's perfectly indicative of what this film offers to you. 
for different ideas and how you react to them as a different person than the first time you mm. saw them and what changed with you. And I think that's brilliant. What's what's going on with you? What's changing with you? Um, <laughs> no, I, I also think that, you know, your point about people being kind of these uh, micro niche celebrities or like, you know, fulfilling that role like Alex Jones or something. It's incredibly interesting with Linklater as a director in general, because um, Andy and I watched uh, Slacker a few months ago with yes. Matthew Film Guy. And we had an amazing like two hour conversation about that on, you know, an earlier podcast episode. And um, a lot of the not same... canon. I wasn't on it. No, it's great. <laughs> I've, I listened to it. It's wonderful. Um, a lot of the same characters or type of characters, you know, actors playing as a similar type of character appear in this. And you can kind of uh, gleam, I think, from from things that these are kind of people that hang out in Austin, people that are friends with Linklater. Like, um, you know, there's the, the great like my favorite scene in Slacker. Um, is like the scene with the old anarchist who's, you know, they're walking past the Ron Paul for president or for whatever sign. And he's like, oh, those are not real anarchists. Like I'm, I'm a real anarchist. Those are just like, you know, pretty much like, like right-wing libertarian people. Like he calls it out a hundred percent. They're like, those are people that are obsessed with money. Like, you know, and there's this old guy just like riffing on how he thinks that like, you know, bring down the government and McKinley, the guy, the guy that killed McKinley um, was like the last real anarchist that really existed. And, like he's meditating and all this stuff. That guy appears again in this movie um, when he's giving him like this whole speech in a bar about, you know, the the human potential. And that introduces the, the chimpanzee concept where he's like, we haven't really actually, you know, gotten yeah. too far past that. And we have more in common with like us to chimpanzees uh, versus like, you know, where we could leap as a, as a species through potential. Like, is it laziness? Is it really, you know, um, our own limitations? So he's like meditating on that for like a good two and a half minutes. And it just, you know, that kind of thing, you have to assume that that's someone that like, you know, wanted to be an actor or was an actor in Austin that like he's tapping again and again for these movies. So, you know, it's it's interesting to see someone like Alex Jones, who assumably wasn't going to get bigger than that. You know what I mean? Like if his career hadn't blown up with Bohemian Nobody Grove, like, would have predicted his career, yeah. which basically <laughs> I know he won't even acknowledge him, but he should basically send John Ronson a gift basket every freaking year because basically if he hadn't been able to <laughs> if he hadn't been able to sidecar and then take over and attribute it to himself, the whole Bohemian Grove thing, he wouldn't be the guy that he is today. You know, probably better for culture, but worse for his career. So Yeah. But of course, John Ronson, as we all know, like who, who does John Ronson hang out with? Well, not usually Alex Jones types, right? Like, you know, he's, uh, he's, uh, um, I, we, Forrest, you pulled that, uh, the, the, that clip the other day, right? You, you we were talking, was that yesterday? I can't remember. Which, uh, which one? Uh, can't get you out of my head. Uh, bop, 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 bop. Oh, the Adam Curtis? Yeah, Adam Curtis. Adam Curtis and John Ronson are like like minded. John Ronson yeah. and Alex Jones are not like like minded, but Alex Jones, so, and that's an incredible them. Is, is the name of that book, by the way. And I recommend, since we got Ben on, we got some readers watching. <laughs> Pick up Them by John Ronson. I still think So You've Been Publicly Shamed is like his masterwork, if any, but Them is actually very, very fascinating. And you can basically see, unfortunately, the accidental protogenesis of the Alex Jones that we all know and loathe. So I guess- Thank you. I guess taking this conversation to a, to a level of, um, you know, bringing it back to the uh give them an argument style of these these movie uh episodes right kind of going through it in order which we stopped you know we stopped doing because we realized we were horrible at going through things in order without ben um <laughs> we tried it for the first four episodes and it did not go well 
Yeah, the bit is like you know the 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 um uh you know the the you know clean your room kind of thing. Except you know it's, hey, it's he, in order. Yeah, he's yeah. the major domo of thesis statements. We get it. <laughs> yeah, I I I think that the um yeah, like like uh you know American uh, American Jordan Peterson. That's that, that's what I've been going for. <laughs> I told I told uh, I told Kenzo that because Kenzo was going through like a lot of therapy stuff like that's a yeah. big part of our show like that we were doing like we were talking about mental health and all this stuff and I was like you should become you know the leftist version of Jordan Peterson and I meant like connecting with people and kind of getting them into like a space where you know because yeah, his yeah. like his like uh, pop psychology stuff isn't that bad like it's just normal yeah. you know pop psychology problem and I was like yeah. so I meant that but like I think Kenzo took it literally as in like he should literally be jordan peterson but for the left and so it, it led to like some pretty funny uh like he like had me play jordan peterson clips and he was like well actually what i would say is i was like that's not what i meant i was speaking like more, more metaphorically to this <laughs> you're not playing a role exactly <laughs> so i'm sorry what are we doing like hermit on stream yeah, yeah, yeah there's enough of that <laughs> I, I i mean the uh I think for Waking Life, it would be particularly tricky to. Um, How? Yeah, where do you start or where do you begin? It's an aur it's an aurorus, aurorus, Yeah, because because like you're not going to go through like all you know like. Aurorus. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I guess you could say like, I think the uh, the first um, you know like to the extent that there's anything resembling a plot in this movie uh then uh that that i guess like probably the first like key thing is uh, the boat car the boat well, car oh, yes so, thank you so i would say the beginning the beginning is interesting but even before the boat car because it's the two it's the two kids or the three kids sitting there with the fortune teller and um as she says dream is destiny he wanders away and then floats mm -hmm. up and so like it's kind of giving you an opening to this that doesn't make any sense and then bringing it back at the end and giving you like the finale with the same thing. So you're kind of uh, having like an open and closed, I guess, system. And you have to wonder like, did the kid die back then or something? And, and is this his whole life? And like, he's going through it or, you know, is this a different kid? Like, so from that, from that opening scene, right. It goes to uh, first that weird, the, the violent thing, which happens again at the end and then the boat car. And I think, yeah, that's like the first, uh, it's the first philosophical kind of question or you know in some ways i mean like more the more i guess the aestheticization of philosophy because it's kind of just some guy giving you his like personal like yeah <laughs> I, I mean so the guy with the boat car uh is just sort of giving like general kind of like you know it's like uh i don't, I don't know exactly how to put this except i believe there are a lot of people in austin who probably talk exactly like this but uh the uh um, you know, like, like he's, he's just giving his general thoughts about life, uh, but he's being super duper intense about it. And yeah, <laughs> also he's in a boat car, right? You know, <laughs> which, and then, and then Call him SpongeBob cause he's driving around the boat car. And then, uh, <laughs> and then there's the surreal thing where, uh, our unnamed protagonist is going to be, um, like forgets where he's supposed to be going. And uh, and so the the other guy, like the other passenger, is like drop, drive down two blocks, go three blocks to the right, take right. the left, and then drop this guy off there. It's like, which is totally what you do to fuck with somebody. You'd be <laughs> yeah. like, how can I can I think of like these really quick directions to give to like give like have someone go into the worst possible street corner, <laughs> or like a hot dog stand or something? Yeah, 
Well, and then and then so the turnaround of that and the part honestly, and this part never leveled me in the way that it has until this last viewing, was then he sees them, are again unnamed protagonist sees sees that guy the the boat car captain, as a convenience store clerk right uh, in quote unquote real life and like he's like hey you were driving you know I, I met you you were driving a boat car is like no man no I, I no man. I don't, I don't drive a boat car, boat and that car. <laughs> yeah, I don't drive a boat car because that's he such a like. So he says it was such like uh, disdain too. Yeah, like, well, like so that's my that's like. that's so that's my literal point is that like he says it was the, the with such calculated disdain that only happens when you tell someone your dream or something along those lines that like are you fucking kidding me like boat car what are you even talking about like and it, it <laughs> i was laughing for a solid two minutes probably at that and yeah. i knew the scene but it hit me different like i was like oh my god that's amazing i love that yeah no and that's and that's uh and that's one of my favorites like scenes of the movie because it's it's got that uh that line uh, yeah no man i'm not a boat car yeah and where the boat car <laughs> says like an, and like the boat car guy at this point as this just completely normal convenience store clerk you know who's who's like just going about his business or whatever until he says man this must be like parallel universe night you know the cat that was just in here just ran out the door well he comes up to the counter you know and say, and I say, you know, what's the word turn? And he lays down this burrito and he kind of looks at me, like he stares at me. And he says, I have but recently returned from the valley of the shadow of death. I am rapturously breathing in all the odors and essences of life. I've been to the brink of total oblivion. I remember and ferment the desire to remember everything. At which point, protagonist asks him, well, what did you say to him? And he says, well, I mean, what could I say? I said, if you're going to microwave that burrito, I want you to poke holes in the plastic wrapping because they explode. And I'm tired of cleaning up your little burrito. Dudes. <laughs> I, 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 I love that for so many reasons, but not the least of which is it, it does what uh, the lyrics of John, John Darnielle from the Mountain Goats does this a lot. We'll just put something absolutely calculatingly fantastic and, and soaring in rhetoric and then put it next door to something incredibly like mundane and super easy to understand. And it makes like, I've been obsessed with that as a songwriter because I think it's such, it's such a hard road to walk on. And that exchange is perfectly emblematic of that. I love it. Dear. It also has these like weird, like NPC vibes, right? Like you're playing a video game or something. And every time someone walks up to this guy, he goes, what's the word turd. And then, you have to, <laughs> and then he's like, well, you know, I just heard from this guy that like just returned from like the Valley of the shadow of death. And he was like, you know, yeah, exposition dump for your next quest. Yeah, exactly. Totally. And then, and then like you go to follow up to find your out quest about is it. You must microwave a burrito and right. not, not have any of it explode. <laughs> no, no, that's so real. That's, I, that's I think real, that, yeah. I think that there is kind of a, a thesis statement though, in the opening boat car scene. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of the most, uh, I think, facile and uh, kind of simplistic version of this. But he says, um, it's like you come into this planet with a crayon box. You may get the eight pack, you may get the 16 pack, but it's all in what you do with the colors you're given. And don't worry about drawing inside the lines or coloring outside the lines. I say color outside the lines. And he's going on this like extremely facile and like simplistic rant about, you know, uh, individuality and like being yourself and what that really means. And, and that sets you up for the next, you know, um, multiple like is that uh, facile though? I don't I don't agree. That no, I don't. Facile. I don't think I don't think it's the the thought is facile. I think yeah. that it's explored in depth uh, right. in in the next few scenes, and it's explored yeah. from all these different angles. I think this guy is giving you like the uh, you know 
the the down yeah. home Texas yeah. like metaphor. It's for the Reader's it, Digest like, version of it. Yeah, yeah, we get it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do think that it's interesting that they do that because you know um, he gets hit by the car after that. Uh, he gets out and like you know and that's you know you can assume maybe where the dream starts or maybe where he died. Like there's a million different uh, I think ideas you can take from that. But from there, that's when they start exploring these ideas with like you know so-called professionals instead of just boat car guy that works at a convenience store like the first person obviously is his uh you know his his philosophy professor or you know teacher of, of some variety at least that's yeah yeah so it's a, a philosophy robert solomon is a philosophy professor at uh, ut austin and he's he's talking about um he starts yeah, out because they're all connected fight club um he takes, he takes <laughs> He texts Ben about existentialism all the fucking time. He's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's right. That's like you know, I, I yeah, mean, just I'm, like in pig, you know, like you, pretty. You, you, I'm like pretty cursory in my response. Oh, yeah, that's great, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he's like, and he's like, hey, you better not fucking miss microwave that burrito, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, because like first, well, there are two actually. So there are two like philosophy professor like like little intense lectures um they're like attached to each other but i think they might be on time break i don't remember exactly but they have a uh, there's the thing about existentialism uh and uh and there's the thing about um and there's the thing about like free will determinism which is actually like a great um i've you know, I mean, I, I've I've abused my position of power to like force like many intro philosophy classes to watch this entire movie straight through. But like, also like, even if you're not going to do that, uh, there's there's a, it's like a good thing to show in a class like that, like just to show that scene, right? Because it's actually like a really good, clear exposition of like what the problem is, uh, and you know what determinism is, and why that might be a problem for you know for free will, and you know, and all of that stuff. And I, I mean, I think that's part of the appeal of the movie, the way that stuff like that is just like woven together with like just insane nonsense. Like uh, the, I don't know, the the guy, the uh, the prisoner who's like ranting about how he's gonna, he's gonna like cut off the judges, you know, eyelids, you know, so, so he'll, he'll see him, you know, be himself being, you know, all the stuff he's going to do to torture him or, you know, the, uh, the two yeah, guys. That, even, even that kind of connects to the same thing, right? He, Cause I, I wrote down tons of fucking quotes from this movie, but um, he says, I want you to know that it's me. I'm the one doing it to you, me. So like, even this, you know, even this prisoner that's like sitting right. there ruminating in, in a tiny jail cell, which the, mm. I, I, I would assume that it's the same character in some ways as Slack, like in Slacker, that guy plays the, uh, <laughs> that guy that guy plays um you know this this weird sketchy guy that gets in their car and is just driving around with, with richard linkladder and um i can't remember who the other actor is but like he's just talking about like how his stepfather just died and like he's going to visit him and he's like now nah, he was a piece of shit don't worry like it's this weird scene so that same guy comes back in this movie um and that that scene that mo that scene also kind of has a pinball machine i think it's like a similar like a similar vibe to this movie like you know what i mean but like yeah, yeah. um so, but oh, when wait, he tells doing... the Philip K. Dick story in the in the mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying like so. There's like these connections between the two movies because Slacker is like really the first I think you know thing that Link Ladder really did that's like a full length uh, movie. And um, 
So I, I I think it's interesting that like even even uh you know even the most psychotic prisoner standing mm-hmm. in this tiny little fucking cell that's like gonna be there forever probably presumably you know what I mean like that's like oh I'm gonna get out of here and I'm gonna kill everyone he still wants everyone to know that it was him it was him doing the killing it was him you know that has done all this stuff and he's thinking about all the stuff he could do but like at the same time he's like I want this to I want to make my mark like I want my own individuality to shine through uh this this yeah like, it's 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 a <laughs> lot of different ways of like look like there's that whole chunk of the movie that's like a lot of different ways of thinking about freedom and individuality so there's the like there's like the fancy like philosophy class stuff there's the prisoner there's you know there's the two guys in the bar shooting each other you know like the you know after like saying after giving like nra slogans about how you know uh, was a well-armed populace is the best defense against tyranny yeah you know? <laughs> like, which which you know the most the most uh, logical thing to happen from that is not hey let's like we're actually going to shoot some guy robbing a bar it's like oh we accidentally shot each other because we got drunk like that's the <laughs> that's like the next logical step to that because it's like you know two drunk guys and the guy puts a fucking gun on the table at a bar it's like nothing good's going to come from that <laughs> and it is notable too that this would have been you know there was 2000 2001 that this this was shot yeah. so like things have become so much more pronounced with that mm-hmm. style of, of person and type of, uh, you know, real life character that the idea that there would be anything, but like something like nefarious and to watch out for is kind of like an outmoded concept. But at the time it was sort of like, well, maybe kind of side eye this dude, like see what's going on, but we'll, uh, okay. We'll see. Yeah, and now it's more like, Oh, that guy's a dick probably. I mean, I guess <laughs> to push back a little, I mean, so this is 2001. So I, I mean, I don't know how long it took. When was the it. Brady bill? I guess that was like nineties, huh? Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. like, that was, that was like the late nineties. And like the late nineties was a period where like, right when gun nuts, like were actually like pretty prominent, right? I mean, there was the Oklahoma city, you know, shooting like the Michigan militia, you know, that was like a big thing. There was uh, I mean, there's Columbine. Columbine. Came out at the end of the Col- decade. Columbine, yeah. right? Yeah, they're like they're all yeah. the prominent school shootings. There was the back like, when we actually back when we actually gave names to like school shootings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, whatever one happened in in you know. Yeah, well, right, I mean, just right, school, right, the right. shootings in general. Because I remember, like, like uh, I was in Texas for the Luby Ma- uh, cafeteria massacre, um, and like no, nobody remembers that one, but but that was a big deal. I used the movie was... night uh, cafeteria massacre. Luby <laughs> cafeteria. Um, that, that's the thing. Uh, ask Jen about it. <laughs> but but that's but then okay so i guess my point with that is, is more like yeah. but that's before like people identified as ammo sexuals really like as, yeah, as bad I mean, as it was like it wasn't guns yeah. is my whole identity kind of bad it was getting there like we were right in the press yeah, but like, here's here's also what i must mention yeah. texas always had a little bit of that even when it was like uh and i speaking as someone that is, has has toured a lot there's austin and there's like the rest of in tech surrounded by texas right and but even like some of the folks in austin would be like oh yeah of course i got a gun whatever you know it's no big deal they wouldn't necessarily you know be people that would be you know only guns guns only uh zardos level of uh engagement but uh, you know like it's far far worse and more pronounced now and that's one of the things that makes this movie a capsule in time uh, in that way because this is rather the precipice of that changing that's what i want to get out yeah. yeah i i think i think i think that's right um i i think that I, it's just you know i i think that that did hit texas harder and faster right like that idea 
and that kind of philosophy in some way that like, oh, well, you know, like vigilantism, I guess, is something to be commended. And this has been a concept explored in film a lot, like Taxi Driver even, you know what I mean? Like Taxi Driver literally plays with that. And I want to do an episode on that one day and it's crazy that we haven't. But like, you know, it plays with the idea that like the the only difference between like a vigilante hero and a, um, you know, and like a, a villain or an assassin or like a criminal is who they shoot. So, you know, well, that's the, guy, the whole dirty hairy ethos, right? That's how all that's that, 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 yeah, but yeah magical realism funny, for right wingers. You know, you'd assume that the guy that he shot was like a petty criminal, you know, if he, if he did even, you know, he's kind of bullshitting, he tells the whole story. And then yeah. obviously, like, he's drunk and he has his gun, and the guy's like, well, why don't you fire it and find out? And then he just does. And it's like, yeah, you could have seen that coming because this person is, you know, fucking hot in the trigger anyway like yeah, yeah. who, who I mean, could have predicted that some ways like what was like back in the you know was it seven days it was dirty harry there was uh death wish and like i and like those movies were like kind of shocking to people at that motherfucking time, you know? charlie like, bronson like, yeah, yeah, yeah but it's like now i think just like sort of like movies vaguely glorified vigilantes like that just that just doesn't even register as like you know anything that would be like controversial and people would take notice of anymore yeah. But then by the same token, by the same token, look at the Marvel Punisher series, right? Like, they basically invented an entirely new storyline for the character because so many of the people with the, the Blue Lives Matter skulls and whatever have adopted that character without knowing anything about it or the character's actual real-life motive. Not real life. What am I talking about? <laughs> Comic motivations. Uh, and so they basically, to get the Punisher on the screen, they had to like change the character somewhat and give, give him an arc that was very specific rather than just like, this is a guy who believes that the law has failed and... Um, only helps like the corrupt doesn't actually help any of the people, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which is a much deeper, it, it goes more into like uh, Frank Castle is kind of ACAB to a certain degree. He just won't kill them. Oh. I've seen, which is kind of crazy. Blue lives matter. Punisher symbols though, which is an insane. It's literally one of the first things I said for it. I'm saying just because yeah, they don't no. <laughs> fucking understand the character yeah. doesn't mean the character tacitly agrees. Yeah, with no. And, and there's some great issues uh, of the Punisher where, where he's actually like, you know, killing cops and explaining, like, you know, you know, there's there's just another criminal, they're criminal in a uniform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's heavy stuff. I mean, and it's uh, honestly, where's where those those depictions? Because they just have, didn't have the stones to do it, frankly, uh, for the Marvel. And, and no, I thought the Netflix no, and, and, and Marvel's right, also but... not like sued the pants off police departments like they would, uh, yeah. like, because because I mean, Disney is such a IP hawk, you know, um, they, they, they go after everything. Like, I'm surprised. That they haven't gone after the cops with the with the Punisher stuff. Anyway, um, I didn't mean to turn this into Punisher yeah. discourse. Sorry, guys, but like, yeah, yeah, but I, but I mean, oh, actually, also another good one that somebody points out in the chat, you know, is is David Koresh. I actually completely forgot about that in the, uh, yes. in the rundown of all the crazy right wing gun shit from the nineties. Oh yeah, yeah. I was also right up the street from there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not live no there. No lesser known yeah. musician by the name <laughs> of David Koresh. <laughs> Well, they had the, the they had the whole Waco like Netflix series pretty recently, and they had you know the, the entire thing kind of playing out like like playing out with famous actors and you know playing with who you feel I guess sympathetic towards in the story and like you know I don't know it was kind of fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean it's, I'm actually like you read like just just like spend like half an hour with the Wikipedia entry on on, on, on Waco. It's it's like there are. 
way more levels of insanity than that than like anything you might vaguely remember, you know, from what yeah. uh, from what happened. But but I think like if anything now we maybe were like cycling back around because I feel like in the nineties like uh like 96 you know right clinton had the anti-terrorism and effective death penalty act and like the anti-terrorism that we were talking about was like really like right-wing domestic terrorism that was that was like you know uh, oklahoma Oklahoma, city bombing yeah 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 exactly (laughs) uh and first uh, try at the world trade center (laughs) yeah uh yeah i mean the world trade center thing like that was like 93 but that was like a little bit of a blip right you know most of the terrorism that people were thinking about at that time really wasn't that and then, of course, you know, from like 2000, you know, basically throughout the like Bush and Clinton, you know, Bush and uh, Obama years, you know, like that was just completely swamped out of everybody's minds by like Al Qaeda style, you know, Islamic fundamentalist terrorism. And now I think we're finally like coming back around a little bit where like we're, we're, we're now, I think, um, you know, like right wing domestic terrorism is like taking up a lot more space in people's heads again, you know, especially like post January 6th. Yeah, well, I I think that we went through this. They're weird, just some good old boys having a good time. What you got a problem with that, man? <laughs> just no, but I've been thinking about this heads. actually quite a bit, quite a bit lately. Um, you know, I think for a long time that they tried to like throughout the Trump administration, um, and like you know the early years of the Obama or the late years of the Obama administration, like they tried to make kind of Antifa, like mm-hmm. anti-fascist, <laughs> anarchist, like black blocks, which you know it like you would think kind of would be in some ways like a terrifying concept to like, if you're looking at it from like the, the, the point of view of like, you know, white suburban moderate people, right? Like you would think mm-hmm. that in some ways that would be a perfect thing. Like all of a sudden a bunch of people run up and just like kind of firebomb a Starbucks or something. Right. And it's like the like kids in their twenties or something. And we, we, um we talked about uh mother Custer's goes to heaven with uh, Megan day the other day. And uh. you know, the actual like, anarchists running out throughout um like uh germany uh in like the 70s and the the similar concept right where like it's just like these random acts of 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 violence maybe not you know violence necessarily to hurt people in the case of antifa but like this kind of thing like maybe we can inspire an emotional reaction to get an insane amount of fucking uh law enforcement funding with this like that's gonna get us like you know our our billions of dollars to you Uh. know Fun law enforcement, no more defund the police like ideas. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're really gonna beef up with that. It didn't work. So what's what what do you have to do from there? It's like right-wing extremists that are like, you know, literally storming the fucking capital. Is that gonna work? And it's like, yeah, all right, that worked. Like <laughs> Yeah, to a point, right? Like I don't I don't know how, you know, I mean, I, th- I think it's like early days yet, you know, <laughs> like we'll, we'll kind of yeah. see like how long how long that holds anybody's attention. But it's not a deep bong hit, but it's like, you know, it's like yeah, a little, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a definitely, a, definitely at least a terrorism contact buzz there. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I guess so like, so like there's this early cluster of scenes that's about like free will and freedom and individuality and then, uh, and like personhood. Like I remember there's one with the, was it like the women in the coffee shop or something? And they're talking about the, you know, was it? I see a picture of myself as as a little kid. And you talking know, about just, uh, Benedict Anderson's uh, what is it, Imagine Communities or whatever. That's like the Michael Brooks used to talk about that book a lot. Um, mm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And then like, and then I feel like later in the movie, there's this cluster of scenes that's about like um, mostly 
is about like um i don't know I'm, I'm trying to come up with like the the less pretentious word but like you know epistemology right is anything real can you know what's real you know like all that stuff like the um, yeah the the you know like most like most memorably you know i saw forrest riffing about this on twitter earlier the uh the the light bulb the uh the the light scene right you know they, they established that you supposedly right in a dream uh, you you can't uh, you can't change the light levels uh, and uh, so this was always the this was always like the dumb gag that I would do after I showed this movie in class I would like walk over to like you know it's like the movie finished as the credits were going I would like go out over and like pretend to be trying to turn on the light you know to you know not be <laughs> yeah. able to uh, not be able to do it you know but, uh, visual physical humor you know <laughs> which is funny because the most I feel like the most nightmares I've had are in it like a college classroom like that's where they take place and it's like everything's normal and then you're like oh shit I didn't do any of the work and I'm supposed to give a fucking presentation today I should probably not be here <laughs> where are my clothes where are my clothes <laughs> Well, and, there's, and there's so much of it that's just like, you know, one character talking to another being like, am I in a dream? The other character, no. Ah, exactly what a dream would say. <laughs> you know, like that, that there's so much. And I love this movie, but there's so much of that, like where. And again, I'm playing that for comedic effect. But there is that level of, of oh, wow, crazy. And like the light switching is a perfect example. Like the one character mm. like is telling the um, the protagonist about that. And then like he hits the just like, oh, and then it's like. And everyone's just sort of like, <laughs> which is, which is also, which is also funny because like most of the political content in this movie is sort of like, you know, kind of yeah, what you would expect from a from a kind of like sort of you know somebody who's like vaguely anti-establishment in sort of a liberal way, you know, in like Austin in 2000, 2001, you know. So yeah, it's, like, that, it's that time period too is important. because No, the time like, period is like yeah. very important for understanding, <laughs> understanding the vibe, right? You know, we still like Alex Jones. There's a... Pre-9-11 like, is the best yeah, way it's it. a very pre-9-11 movie. But the, well, that's because uh, I said, you know, 9-11 was a vibe shift. Yeah, 3-11 was an inside job. No, that's certainly true. I have a, I, I have, oh Jesus, I was actually just thinking about this earlier today because I was, I was uh, talking to Cole James Cash on the uh, the Collins show, and and uh, you know we were talking about the stuff going on at the U.S. Canadian border, and I was remembering like how crazy it was to me post 9 11 when for the first time they actually made you bring a passport to go to canada it's like you don't need to go and bring a passport it's fucking canada oh, you know it's yeah. not a like that's, that's not really canada a with a with a printed id that i made myself because <laughs> <laughs> i didn't have a license or anything and they took it and i got i got there and came back and look at me i'm still which, here it was, which, it was actually a parking pass looks, they were very the word, this is the word andy and crayon which state issued this <laughs> Oh Texas! Uh, oh oh yeah! All right, all right. Texas is oh yeah yeah. That, that's the state that, of yeah, that tracks, being that tracks, yeah. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, and I remember like the first time, like you know, whatever, like 2002. You know, like yeah, I mean, like growing up very close to the Canadian border, did this all the time. It was never an issue. Nobody ever asked for a passport. And then like 2002, like the uh, I mean, they still let us in, you know. But like the the like border guard coming back to the U.S. was like, "Where's your you know his passport?" What are, you, what are you talking about and he was like well you, well you need to all right i I'm, I'm slipping into doing this like guy at the michigan ontario boarding crossing like with the accent of like a you know movie like southern sheriff but like you know but it's like uh you know but it's like well oh, don't not, you know <laughs> you know 
September the 11th, you know, changed everything. I was like, God, oh, Jesus Christ, fuck you. <laughs> like, but that's the doing you know, doing uh doing full Fargo voice. <laughs> when I uh, crossed the border I'm gonna, in 2002, I'm gonna I got smart. ID. I had a guy from uh, uh, who had a military ID drive, and, and we just put him in the driver's seat. And it was funny because he had a Russian accent too. So he's like, "Yes, I am from military." <laughs> no, <laughs> please allow me all your nuclear secrets. <laughs> but, but, yeah, yeah, Star Trek, Star Trek Four. But like, it's yeah, the. Uh, like it's definitely very you know pre 11 but there is one uh, moment in the movie that's in that light bulb scene of like actual like like leftism. There's there's, there's the guy who's like who's there's the like folk singer who's uh, who's talking about uh, having a dream where he's, he's at work all day and then he uh, and then he finally you know finally the long day at work is over and you wake up and uh, you realize that it was just a dream. See it bad enough for selling our wicked lives for a minimum wage. Now they get our dreams for free. Yeah, and and the way he does it is the way he does it is like that perfect, like almost like definitely like anarchist kind of like you know strumming <laughs> on the guitar, slowly going over it. Like you're like you have to slowly like ease into like oh no like yeah shit like if you're if you're working to that level like if you're working that much and then you start dreaming about working like it's pretty much like a company that owns your dreams. And I mean I'm sure Elon Musk is working on that right now by the by the way absolutely have been there and it sucks because you're like i can't get away from this shit even in my sleep you kidding me like like it's terrible it, it's 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 the first sign of a the japanese have a word for it karoshi death from overwork of course the japanese have a, have a word for it right <laughs> oh the germans would be funnier yeah probably <laughs> And more multisyllabic, but yeah, Karoshi, yes. death from overwork. And that's dreaming working. <laughs> well, and, and that, <laughs> yeah. So I saw, you know, when I saw this as a much younger man, like about when it came out, I guess, uh, like that didn't hit me as hard as it does now. Yeah. And part of the least of which is like the workplace exploitation that has gone on in the name of the pandemic and the like, oh, well, you aren't doing anything, right? Like, well, it doesn't matter. If I'm doing anything or not, this is my time and not yours. And you are not paying for that. And you are not allowed for that. But that is somewhat a, still an untold story because I think still people are misunderstanding certain aspects of day-to-day uh, -day work for jobs that aren't easily understand, like, you know, blue collar, like going to a place, punching a clock, doing a thing. And it's amazing to me that scene is one of the ones that hit differently. We talked about earlier for me where I'm like, uh wow that's prescient that's incredibly prescient because if you think about like the past few years and that push towards like work and life being like this sublimated entity that like you are working at like the googleplex and you have like the coffee shop and the restaurants designed so you never have any need to leave and you just right. live at your job and are always working yeah and i mean like if you're at a and there's the the sort of um, non-corporate like gig economy version of the same thing, of course, right? That, Which like, is my other life. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, like whatever. I mean, I have a, um, you know, I mean, I think I had like six days off last year, right? You know, the, uh, like I'm sure, uh, you know, I'm sure Andy has has dreams that are about, you know, or, or about like all the people who are like hitting him up in the middle of the day, you know, asking for thumbnails. You know, like. Oh God, I, I've actually dreamed like like uh, I was making something for you, woke up and then I had to make something for you. <laughs> <laughs> See, even in your dreams, you can't get away from it. They own you there yeah. too. But 
I mean that, but that is kind of the thing, right? I mean, like if if you read like um, capitalist realism, right? You know what? Like um, there's this great riff in there where Mark Fisher is is talking about the difference between Goodfellas and Heat, and uh, and and talking about the way that the um, like Heat is like the the neoliberal gangster movie, right? You know that like yeah, you know, and and the code the code that actually does in some ways, I mean, invoke feelings of family. And stuff like that, you know, in in older in older gangster movies, yeah, well, I mean, like, like, not like, they mean that, like you know, a different yeah. story. But this well, version, but, but of older it. older gangster movies are super rooted in like a particular place, and people are always yeah. like eating good Italian food, and you know, it's it's, uh, and you know, it's and the the thing that he, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you have to be ready to just abandon everything at every single instant. Uh, yeah, and, of, and there's of, the thing know, with like he has a I think wearing uh, allegiance. <laughs> Well, Mark Fisher references the fact that he's like, oh, well, like you have a wife and a, and a and a family or something like, and you kind of have to just be able to just take off because you're tailing somebody who's like a neoliberal gangster. Like, <laughs> you have to just kind of abandon that. You know, if if you have more than what you can fit into, like a you know, like a a small fucking backpack or something, like you're gonna be fucked. Yeah, well, no, okay. exactly. So, 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 so like, oh, so, so I was just gonna say. I mean, I think that like that's the the what's like the waking life scene is like a very old-fashioned version of this problem right but it's like but it's like what we have now is this like awful combination for a lot of people of the experience of the minimum wage worker described in the waking life scene and the experience of like a small businessman who has to like hustle and like every moment of every day and like worry about going out of business and all of that stuff and now a lot of people have the fun experience of having a weird combination of uh of, yeah of, and, of and i've been thinking i've been thinking a lot about like I, i've just had like conversations with people that kind of have had uh chaotic i guess personal experiences in, in the last you know during the pandemic or whatever you know like leaving relationships or like you know a whole bunch of different stuff like family stuff didn't work out and a lot of times people uh take both feet and like just jump into working like they find a job and they're like i'm gonna i'm gonna you know i don't want to think about what's happening in my personal life which is what you should be thinking about you know what i mean like under like an a a fair more equitable system that's what you'd be thinking about but like you know we've kind of transactionalized all of these different relationships in, in a similar way to the way we work so like people will go oh well you know i i'm self-destructive in these situations i'm gonna put both feet into working for somebody at a company like I, I have friends that like work for like Amazon and they're like, well, I'm going to be the best Amazon worker I could be. And I'm like, that's not good. That's going to have fucking horrible implications down the line. They're tracking your movements. Don't do that. But it's like, you know, there's the kind of this desire that like, well, you know, my personal life is chaotic. Personal lives in general are chaotic. Why don't I kind of fully subsume myself into this, into making money right now? And I noticed a lot of people around my age or like, you know, like as I've been growing up under this, like, the most, I think, dystopian version of this system that we've really ever had. Um, people will, people are fully willing to, for short periods of time, like they're yeah. like, well, at least work is simple. At least I'm only doing this stuff. And it's like, they're going that 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 the the personal to you know the personal to work relationship is bleeding through. Like, don't do that. That is fucking awful. They're gonna take your dreams to the same way that they do, like the same way they're talking about in Waking Life, where he's like, you know, it's bad enough that they own your waking hours now they own your dreams too. Like, that's what's going oh, to happen. And and I don't yeah, know. I mean, it's it's the and the you know right. I mean, it's like the uh, the the sort of 
almost innocent Futurama version was that they 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 beam dreams into your head. They beam ads into your head while you sleep. Right. Uh, <laughs> but but if I if I make if I don't jump in here, my freaking head's gonna explode. But but yeah. I, it's important to note that I think there's far fewer examples. Bone and neutron, everyone. Well, yes, uh, thank you. Thank you <laughs> Sorry. There's far there's far more examples instead of people willingly being like I'm going to like whatever be on the grind or whatever it is. Yeah. There's far more examples of people using empathy uh, and the illusion of a family and familiarity as basically taking advantage of people's ruinous empathy. Meaning mm -hmm. that like using emotional engagement in a way that like, well, you know, if you don't come in and do this, then you're doing your coworkers uh, a disservice by doing that. Mm -hmm. And it's all passive voice. And here's where everybody gets it wrong. And I mean, everyone, everyone yeah. always gets this wrong is that like, it's almost never like we think of like these horribly villainous things happening. We think of them as being done almost by like, you know, Machiavellian style uh, villains. Right, uh, the, the, they're sitting there with like, here's here's my list of evil deeds that I'm going to do today. It's not like that. It's it's a soft tyranny. It's a soft tyranny, and you can sum it up in a lot of different ways. But basically, a lot of people that are in, engaged in, in this kind of process and exploitation of the workforce, they would prefer if everyone had the same supposition of labor as H1B ones, which H1B1 yeah. visas are basically conscription, right. and because the idea is. And this is why they're bipartisan too. Everyone loves H1B ones because you basically have a worker that can never say no. Because if you say no, they yes. don't even have to give a reason. You're shipped back off. And in these these folks, usually younger men, especially in tech, are supporting not only their immediate family but their extended family and like like people associated with them. So everything is not just right in them for their own personal stakes and for their own personal like immediate family, but every part of it that they live they cannot say no. And this is exploited, especially in tech, on a level to which most people do not even realize. Well, it's exploited everywhere in every business with with that type of uh, visa too. It's it's a hundred percent. Horrible, like, like the farm workers are in slave-like conditions. Exactly, it's conscription. Yeah. It's 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 essentially conscription, but it's soft conscription because they can fall back on the well. You have the choice to opt out anytime you want, and it's it's such a false dichotomy. But yeah. it's never it's never laid bare and put out there because again, this is like bipartisan support. Everyone loves it. Hey, we love the cheap labor, everybody, don't we? And it's it makes me crazy because. I don't know if it would be possible to tell that story in a way that have any cultural cachet and bring people forward in a way that could cause meaningful change because so many industries rely on that. Anyway, that's a bummer. Sorry, but I needed to get that out there because I think it's important when we talk about, especially a certain popular podcasts among the left seem to have a, a, frankly, preschool level understanding of the uh, of the labor movement and yes. uh, the actual problems we face. In, Jesus uh, Christ, Coded, if you want to if you want to say something to me, just say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right here. I can hear you. <laughs> A certain <laughs> philosophy based. <laughs> Speaking of riddles, no. Ben, you're yeah. cool. I, I <laughs> Everyone else can go to hell. Since, since we got the uh, the literate audience tonight to plug um, Border and Rule by Harshir Walia, who, who writes beautifully about all what uh, Conan was just speaking about and actually has a fuck yeah, bump your fist moment at the end. So, you know, highly recommend. What, what, what is it called again? What is it? Order and rule. Okay. Nice. No, and I, and I think Conan, um, you know, as someone who before doing what I'm doing now, which, you know, is is far preferable to what I was doing before, like college and, and graduating and then kind of randomly running into Michael Brooks at a 
cafeteria and ending up doing editing and like actually giving a fuck about what I'm doing. Like it wasn't a Luby's, was it? Yeah. No. <laughs> Professionalism as chaos theory. Yeah. It's a who you run into and in random. It was the basement of some like place in, in a Brooklyn mall that, because of course it was that like they had all of these different uh, vendors set up and like they, they were, they were just strange. Like it would, it would be like, Hey, do you want like Japanese barbecue and Korean barbecue? We'll have that here. But over here we have, uh, you know, is that word... like a world market kind of thing where they got yeah, like, but, but like uh, here's, here's like, the curry and here's the... it literally would be that, and then it'd be like, but over here we have the worst Texas barbecue you've ever seen in your life. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I, call it, I call it mall barbecue. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it is. It is weird. Like, I don't want to. I I know, you know, there's been a lot of digressions. A lot of them have been my fault, but like, it, it is really weird that um, that like Brooklyn like for being this a like epicenter of like you know super crowded all kinds of different people etc cetera, etc cetera. lots of people who you know but like there are some cuisines that just like invariably suck if you get them well, there because they fucking despise anybody from the south but but so so what i was saying though with this is that to, to like kind of add to conan's point um most of my jobs you know i live in like a small ass town like new Paltz has less than seven thousand people and you know when it when it comes down to working at uh, restaurants, which restaurant in the restaurant industry is besides the college in New Paltz is uh is kind of the the most uh, vibrant industry, I guess. Pretty much everybody that doesn't you know get out of here works in restaurants pretty much forever. And uh, restaurants serving fucking obnoxious college kids from Long Island and from the city, like that's kind of what you do here. So, but then you end up being kind of. Uh, everyone's like someone you either went to high school with or like somebody you met in the process of like going to school like you go work at these places and even when they're like when they have a bigger management team or something like it's like hey we're kind of like a family here right like we're all from the same small small town like you don't really have to have more money you don't really have to you know talk to your coworkers, right we're like a family like you knew my my son like my son went to school with you like you you can't you're not going to talk to your coworkers, right and there's that level of like you know, people kind of identify themselves with uh, like these tiny fucking businesses because of course they do, because it's like, you know, a lot of times you get a job because it's like, you know, your, your, your friend's parent or like your friends, uh, you know, like, so it becomes like this whole weird thing where you're uh, and, and I ended up working for like my first job that I worked for, for a few months and I was terrible at it. I did not want to wash dishes, but I was washing dishes at a Japanese restaurant that were kind of pissed off. They had to have, everybody working there was white and they did not want their they put up a sign at one point in chinese japanese and korean not in english that said hey if you're asian please apply here we don't yeah, we, for, for the love of, of fuck no whitey please thank you no, like, not, no, <laughs> like, like we're tired of like pretty much they were tired of hiring all their son's friends uh who now is like a really successful the, the my friend that, that whose parents own this was is now like a really successful chef in like hiroshima uh but like you know at the time they um they they like put this up at the college everywhere and people kept on like one person understood um i, I think one person understood japanese and was like this is what this says like it says hey like apply to this restaurant <laughs> we're looking for all all positions but it's like you know you kind of feel like you're you're pressured into the situation where like you don't uh, want to ask for more money or you don't want to ask for like a, a better whatever because it's like this is your friend's family and, and i feel like for the majority of people in the united states like we talk a lot about people working for big business, but like yeah. the small business thing is loved by both Republicans and Democrats. Right. They love small businesses. They love businesses with like the least amount of employees and the less employees you have. 
and the less range your business really has, the, the less of a chance you really have to like, you know, even have some kind of unionization drive. Like, like we're talking about Starbucks is like this huge fucking corporation or like Amazon yeah. is this huge fucking corporation that stretches out everywhere. If you're, if your place that you work is just the town you live in, there's no, like the unionization talk can't happen. Like there's no, there's no lifeline to anything else anywhere. Like, yeah, although, although I'll, I'll bet you anything that now that there are like a hundred Starbucks, uh, you know, that are filing for unionization that like, that we will probably get some like, you know, small coffee shops and stuff that, you know, like, like, you know, I, I think the, um, I mean, I think actually that one's kind of a weird example, right? Because like it is, um, you know, I mean, it, it is this like huge corporation, but it's also a fra- you know franchise, right? So I mean, like you're you're still talking yeah. about, you know, a very. I started. I started Jeffrey Barrios yesterday, and he was saying uh, he there were small. He was interviewing employees that were like unionizing at small coffee shops. Well, I, I, I was, I was, I've been waiting to break in here, but like that happened in Colectivo here. Uh, Colectivo is a Wisconsin, like not like tiny chain but like not like starbucks level two but pretty big here they had it was a huge kerfuffle because they did the thing where they like rather than just accede to like the union demands they like hired some uh you know what what do they what do they call there's some euphemistic term for when they uh, the the new union busters right like uh what what do they call them there's some term for it anyway workforce yeah, workforce alignment scheduler two or something along the way. Whatever it is. I'm so mad that they can't use the term Pinkerton. Because uh, well, that's what it basically is. Right? I know what I'm saying. Like, woke union people are like, oh my God, they took the color. They took yeah. the woke color. <laughs> but, but that's, but it's crazy because Colectivo in every other way is like your model example of a uh, local, uh, lo- uh, regional, regional ish chain that did everything right up until that point. And it was like, it was a big turd on the coffee table for them. Like to the point that like, even for myself, like it made me think twice about like, you know, they have like one blend. It's my favorite coffee blend. I always, and I always pick, I loved it before I lived here. I would get on tour. I would pick up a bag of it to take home. That's how much I liked it. And like, it made me think, I'm like, do I really want to be supporting these guys? If they worked that hard organization. And again, this is not a Howard Schultz and company, right? This, this is like ostensibly like, a little bit above a mom and pop, but not like a mega corporation either. But it, it, there's a soft complicity to all of it. And all of it uses weaponized empathy yeah. all the time. Uses empathy against its workers, against themselves. And that's something that's fascinating to me because that's not what Waking Life, ah, see what I did there, is talking about with a lot of things. But it talks about some of those concepts and like emotional concepts. And like they t- they frame it in terms of individualism rather than collective action. But I think it is actually very... <clears throat> woke in that way uh, because it, 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 it yeah. very effectively gets across some points like like there's the scene with the the girl who um is you know like has the line about how she wants real human connection not you know not the, the, the aunt. Plastic, i don't want know. to be an ant yeah yeah. yeah that's yeah yeah um so so i mean it kind of seems like all right so you've got this cluster of scenes at the beginning about free will and individuality and personhood and freedom and then you've got this cluster of scenes that is is about like knowledge and whether anything's real, and some of that's like early in because they do all the like, like false awakenings. You there's know, like the, uh, there's the definitely the definitely in the IDW guy that's talking about um, the evolutionary biologist. <laughs> that that guy is one hundred percent like in in you know he's like having fucking podcast episodes with Jordan Peterson or something now. 
Not but, Jordan uh, Peterson, but I think like like Brett Wines did. That would be the, yeah. that would be the, the sort of way <laughs> the theology. His dream get is Jordan Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> but but also like again, let's let's place it in its correct time, right? Not only pre 9-11, but Tipper Gore. Tipper Gore of the PMRC was poised to be the first lady of the United States of America. Friend of the show, Tipper Gore, that we talked about endlessly on him. And who would have been the vice president? Further censor, Joe Lieberman. right? And, and this was the good outcome of that election. I need to, like, this is like the alternate universe that things turned out better. Yeah. So, so when you think about the individualism and that side, remember that's what was going on at the time. That, like, yeah. there was a lot of, like, as uh, the Ramones so effectively called it, censorship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Craziest thing, by the way, uh, to me, learning more about the PMRC, because that's like a super vague memory of like hearing about that for me, is that um, a lot of what she was like so intent to censor, like you think, okay, like is this at least like gangster rap, or whatever? You know, there was some of that, right? But like a lot of what she was like the most upset about was fucking Prince. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like in if in, in in pure like church lady fashion, where it's, which actually probably at least partially led to the Dana Carvey character, frankly, is is that that if not Tipper Gore specifically, that mindset. Um, yeah, it's it's wild. Like, and to think about like what gets what people get away with, you know, in television now, or even like presidential candidates get away with, right? Like Howard Dean was disqualified because he yelled weird like a wrestler at a, at a, a rally with like tens of thousands of people. Well, that's what they say now. There, there was actually a really great story I heard on NPR, which I can't find now, uh, about like this this actual hit ad that that ran uh, for like a week right before the the election that uh, uh, seems to have like tanked his uh, poll numbers. Oh well, and- he he talked. I I can speak personally to that because I, I volunteer on the campaign. He talked about this is this is classic Howard Dean pre like being a tool of big pharma. Uh, he talked about, hey, maybe we should break up all the media monopolies like on like cable news, which like like I, I was sitting there like I was like, whoa, what? Like and I was like, can he say it was like a network moment almost because he was kind of like, and he was just sort of like, you know, just oh yeah, you know. I don't think media consolidation is a good thing. We should probably, you know, if I'm, you know, if I get lucky enough to be elected president, we'll, you know, we'll probably look about like breaking that up, doing some regulation. And then it was like, and then next thing you know, yeah. what, what's, ah! what's, uh, yeah, what, what, what is yeah. blasted out on every gonna, media outlet? To... <laughs> so, so actually, 24-7, 365 with literally no context. Like if you take it with like the crowd noise, it like actually doesn't sound nearly <laughs> so nuts. Right. But like, that was that was in no way, shape, or form anything other than like pure on network Ned Beatty speech. Get rid of this guy. Yeah. I really do wonder though. I was talking to um, uh, Ryan Lake about this last night. Whether like I guess two thousand and four, you probably couldn't have. But like the thing that like Trump makes you wonder is how long before two thousand and sixteen could someone who cracked that code have just done that right that like you know that that just yeah. just just been like like just not played along like with whatever the like campaign ended scandal would have been and just like kind of like like if howard Dean had just like rolled his eyes every time somebody tried to bring it up be like yeah yeah whatever right you know like like it uh because like trump was able to shrug off like you know like he he did uh you know, I mean, there's so many things that, like, if like Mitt Romney or somebody had done them, it like, you know, like seems like they would have been like, mittens, mittens, cam- yes. campaign ended, career ended, right? Like that they like, like he spent like two weeks like 
beefing with some gold star parents over whether their kids suck. <laughs> I had actually forgotten about that. What an incredible moment. Like what an incredible moment of just like countless meaningless beefs that just went on for forever and made celebrities of people that really had no business being celebrity based on nature being the other yeah. side of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, bitchy but, little beefs. Yeah, I mean it was fine. I mean, you know, he told John McCain that he preferred Air Force pilots who didn't get captured. Like yeah, that was, you know, like whatever. Everybody, everybody kind of felt that right there. Like, yeah, like no. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Loki, I was like, mm, he got you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think Obama. Like, How dare you, sir? I'm like, I'm gonna fuck about John McCain. I think I think me? Obama in 2008 kind of started to crack that code for the first time. Mm. Because, you know, more than anyone else, right? Like Hillary Clinton represents like, and, and it happened, you know, twice to her. But like more than anyone else, Hillary Clinton seems to represent that like consensus. Like anything she says is kind of straight up like Democratic Party consensus. And Obama obviously didn't do the Trump thing. Like something could have easily ended this campaign. And he knew that. And like he was black. Like there was a lot of stuff that like, you know, he had to be careful about because, you know, uh, you could throw whatever dog whistles you want at, at the guy. But, like, it did start to be like, oh, well, that was a dumb war. You voted for a dumb war. I didn't vote for a dumb war. Now, the reason he didn't vote for a dumb war is because he didn't, yeah, really. um, you know, he wasn't elected to somewhere that could have voted for that at the time. But, like, you don't say that. You know what I mean? Like, so he and, like, David Axelrod kind of managed to push through a lot of that. And I feel like that empowers somebody like Trump down the line who's like, no, this person kind of bucked, you know, governed as a normal Democrat and fully got, you know, the Democratic Party behind them like as soon as they took office, but kind of campaigned the first time on, on a different platform. And no, kind of, yeah. I mean, Obama, yeah. Obama 100% would not have won the Democratic nomination against Hillary Clinton if not for the fact that he gave like an anti-Iraq war speech when he was like, yeah. what, like a state senator or running for state senate. And like, you know, he didn't have much at stake. It was very easy for him to do that. But like the fact that he was like on record as being against it, I mean, like that was that was 100% like the reason he yeah. uh, he won that nomination or had a chance to uh, to to win it. And Trump has is... nothing at stake. Like that, that's the thing. Like you know what I mean. Like oh, this guy had very little at stake. He gave the speech and then he got on stage and he kind of like you know kind yeah, of Obama. Oh yeah, Obama yeah. gave the speech. I mean Trump. It's actually funny. Like you go back and watch like you know the the Trump stuff that they brought up as like evidence that he was against the war at the time. Yeah. And he's actually just expressing like this weird indifference to like whether the US invades Iraq. He's like, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Maybe, I guess you know. so. <laughs> I think it's an actual so quote, he, right? Yeah. He made he made this he made this distinction. And this distinction is made, I guess a lot of people have talked about it. Like they talked about it a lot on uh blowback, like this uh smart war, dumb war distinction. Oh, right? Bob like, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was so, old John, that was old Carrie Edwards, best cheerleader in high school, by the way. Platform <laughs> is that like, oh, this war was not executed correctly. We would Yeah, no, I mean I mean like that's the thing. Like as much as like it showed how much hunger there was for that anti-war position though, because like even though it was barely anti-war, like like Obama's stated reason, like Flora said, was just like that, like, oh, this is like detracted too much attention from our like you know, unwinnable, like blood-soaked imperial war in Afghanistan. You know, like yeah. if we're going into this, yeah, we could be profiting off of this war. Come on, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, no, you know, we're we're taking our eye off the ball of the forever war in Afghanistan by starting one in Iraq, and you can't do that. Like so, but like despite the fact that that was such weak sauce, I mean, I think there's crazy hunger for that, and then I think 2016 showed that there was the Republicans too, and like they were willing to be even cheaper dates about it because like Trump had never actually even really opposed it but they uh but like 
the fact that he sort of acted like he was retroactively and he had just enough that he could kind of claim that he had like the fact, which is crazy, right? Cause like, if you think about what Republicans were like in the two thousands, like that, like that Trump got, like Trump said, like he told Jeb Bush on the campaign stage, uh, the debate stage, you know, uh, you know, Jeb was like, Oh, you know, my brother kept us safe. He's like, no, he didn't. 9-11 happened. You know? <laughs> yeah, and that's like I, I finally that puts everybody in the really unenviable position of being like, yeah, <laughs> I guess get his ass. Yeah, I, I mean, I, finally, I will, I I, I will, I will, I will say that the very I first conversation the I ever... that kind of went through all of these moments. Like, I don't know yeah. if you can listen oh, yeah. to uh, the the they they were uh, Chapo's producers at one time. I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so I finally listened through their podcast where they go through all of those different moments and like just insane how many fucking like weird like you're cheerleading on Trump saying that or something. It's like yeah, get Jeb Bush and it's like yeah, but then Trump didn't really do shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the, the first. I mean it's it's just a pox on both their houses. Yeah, mindset, as far as yeah. I was, I was like I Let hope it is bite. bloody and vicious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let there be blood. Yeah, I, I will say the first conversation I ever had with Michael Brooks in like line at a Chipotle or something uh, was, uh, you know, was did you just the, hang out at did you just hang out at like places to eat and he's like, let me just try to see how many people I can meet that are going to just end up being like big influences on the pod. Like I'm just going to keep showing up at. Let, let me get to a wet burrito and some dry discourse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in that conversation, right. I mean, we were actually coming from an event, but like the, in that conversation, uh, he uh, like, yeah, I mean, we both admitted to each other that like we, you know, I mean, we thought he was a monster, but like we both really enjoyed Trump as an insult comic. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like as a Borscht Belt comedian, he's fucking great. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like you just, he should have like a residency next to, uh, um, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, uh, what a country! Uh, Yakov Smirnov, in yeah, Brand, Missouri. <laughs> That's how I was trying to think of. You have, you have the, you could have the I Trump's new comedy tour where they're like, <laughs> you know, you're a redneck. If now we're calling up Donald Trump, and he's like, he's like Jeb Bush, lightweight, lightweight. Uh, and they just like, oh, like the, the laugh lines, and yeah, yeah. I mean, like, great. That's a great place for him. As far, no, as, as far away from media as like, possible. Yeah. I, I mean, I was thinking about like the era that. Wicked Life came out like I so I just looked it up and it came out like a month before 9 11. And in some ways, what I think time. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's like kind of in some ways, there's a lot about the energy of the movie that's like kind of perfect for like you know, if you were like an anti Bush person after that. But I will say one thing that's interesting about today is like, so all right, there's the free will of individuality scenes, there's the what's real and how do we know scenes. And then it sort of goes in as the movie gets closer to ending to the God and death scenes, right? That, yeah. that like, you know, it's like all about religion yeah. and, you know, that uh, it's more existential near the and, back. Uh, and I, I have yeah. something to play that I, this actually okay. cues, up, right. this cues up perfectly. I wanted to play a couple minutes of the original footage that they shot for it. Cause I think it's really cool, but also oh, cool. the, uh, the what's real and how do we know part of it gave me traumatic flashbacks to talking to Thaddeus Russell that one day. And <laughs> <laughs> When, he, when he's just like, well, how do you know that, you know, how do you know that, that that Trump didn't win the election? And then it was like one of the first times I talked on fucking Give Them an Argument and got into that fucking discourse for 15 minutes with Thaddeus Russell. Oh, I'm so glad I've never been on with Thaddeus Russell. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. So this, this this is, is the, I, I mean, yeah. No, the uh, Thaddeus is... Uh, 
I mean, uh, I like the guy. I just, you yeah, know. Yeah, no, he's, 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 he's by far my most problematic friend, but the, uh, but he, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, but he, he does, but yeah, that, that is the thing that like drives me crazy in those conversations. Cause it's like, well, hold on. How are you like super skeptical about everything? But then like, like the dumbest conspiracy theories, like where are the skeptical questions about them? Like what happened to that? <laughs> well, they go without saying, right? Like, it's like, oh, well, where's the, where's the evidence? Those aren't true. And it's like, yeah, but every other fucking thing that like everybody else accepts, you're like, that's not true. Like, how do you know that's true? And it's like, that doesn't, those things don't track, but here's, here's a couple minutes. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Uh, Cause I gotta go check on my dog for a second. So here's a couple minutes of uh, original footage. On this bridge, Lorca warned, life is not a dream. Beware, and beware, and beware. And so many think, because then happened, now isn't. But didn't I mention, the ongoing wow is happening right now. As one realizes that one is a dream figure in another person's dream. That is self-awareness. Allegedly, the story goes like this. Billy Wilder runs into Louis Mao, and Louis Mao just made his most expensive film, which has cost two and a half million dollars. And Billy Wilder asks him what the film is about. And Louis Mao says, well, it's sort of a dream within a dream. And Billy Wilder says, you just lost two and a half million dollars. pattern gets more intricate and subtle, being swept along is no longer enough. I said, if you're going to microwave that burrito, I want you to poke holes in the plastic wrapping because they explode and I'm tired of cleaning up your little burrito doings. You dig me? Kierkegaard's last words were, sweep me up. that I'm waking up, but I'm still in a dream. It seems like it's going on forever. I can't get out of it, and I want to wake up for real. How do you really wake up? If that's what you're thinking, I mean, you you probably should, because, you know, someday, you know, you won't be able to. So just, um, but it's easy. You know, just, just wake up. <laughs> 
that's actually really cool. Like as that's that's, that's unsettling. Like I've 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 probably watched I probably watched this movie like two hundred times. So like I remember like all of the yeah every it, scene it, right yeah it's 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 like it's crazy. I, yeah, that's that's trippy. I'm just like, glad like, they like, found an actor that can like float that. like that. <laughs> well, and, and like, like, like I, like I said in the, in the in the chat, like it looks like a cool public access show. Like, hey, you know, like I'm, it's you know, what, what's that? Uh, Walter Wiggins, what was it? What's the actor's name? He was in uh, Days and Confused too. Yeah, the, the main kid, the the unnamed protagonist. Yeah. Does everyone know what I'm talking about? Does anybody care what I'm talking about? That's yeah. Why uh, Wiley Wiggins is is that guy's name? It's like Wiley Wiggins does Austin is what it looks like when it's just done like that, where it's like, oh, check it out, he's gonna visit the screw, you know. It's but it's somehow crazier and more dreamlike with rotoscoping, which is again, you know, unless you're Ralph Bakshi, right? You're, there's not a lot of rotoscoping in your world. No, like like uh, one of the things I liked about how the rotoscoping actually improved it was just how shitty the lighting was. For example, like like oh, it's atrocious. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't film a movie looking it's like not that. professional lighting to put a blunt. That's but why like, I said like public the access. Natural yeah. lighting, though, uh, it, you know, kind of picks up interestingly with the with the rotoscoping because you have a you know you have a because sometimes I manipulate photos like that. Um, you know, you bring in an illustrator and, and like one of the things that drove for your crazy. ID to give the Canadian border guards. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but, but you get these weird artifacts in, in uh, sir, this is a cartoon. Anyway. Yes, exactly. Not, not a uh, graphics program, but, but um, you know, this movie had less of the artifacts than um, a scanner darkly did uh, almost seemed like it was, this was more advanced than scanner darkly because they were able to like step things back so much at times. And, I, I liked giving people different eyes and, and really, you know, um, playing with stuff, you know, uh, which is weird because like, like, yes, the effect scenes in the scanner darkly, when you actually see the scanner darkly in the film, um, you know, uh, it was beautifully done. Uh, you know, it looks great, but like, I, I think, I think, um, this, this looked better than a scanner darkly in, in many ways. Well, this is, I mean, this is more of an experimental, uh, project right like Skinner Darkly he's just kind of going crazy and you're kind of watching it through the eyes of someone whose brain is kind of decaying and like as it's time okay, goes Dick. on I mean like like the 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 question sorry to interrupt for us but like the question yeah. with with that book specifically is how do you make Scanner Darkly how do you do it and like be at least like somewhat faithful to the source material yeah and I think it works yeah. fantastically no it's, I mean, it's also movie. the only like I mean, it's possible there are a couple of indie things that I've never seen and I'm not familiar with. But as far as I know, that's like out of the hundred movies that have been made based on Philip K. Dick, uh, movie, you know, short stories or novels. That's the only one that actually feels like the original. Yes. yes. There's a there's a really amazing and I, and I listened to I think half of this for the stream we did on Give Them an Argument, but there's a Paul Giamatti. Um, book reading where which he is phenomenal every, yeah listen to the whole thing like, like that is great that, that is like <laughs> friend of the show the best audiobook you'll, you'll ever find uh hands down uh yeah uh, you know seriously like, like his reading is just like elevates the book in, in a way that that uh you you won't believe just because paul giamatti is, is pretty much playing the character the bible war and peace don't want to know about it tell let me know when paul giamatti reads it thank you <laughs> yeah no, yeah, so so this is kind of one of the first rotoscoping. I mean, besides like you know Lord of the Rings and and like you know different projects like that. The American of, Pop that was like oh American Pop is amazing. Yeah, 
Um, Rot- so Rot- I, Rotoscoping experts Kona Neutron and J. Andy World over here. <laughs> Sorry, so I, Justice I, I, Andrew World. I have, my bad. I have an interesting uh, couple-minute clip of uh, Richard Linklater talking about the process of this with the guy that actually was the artistic director. And Thaddeus um, Q. Rotoscope? I thought you were going to see Thaddeus Russell. And I was thinking, how do you really no. know? How do you really know it's rotoscoped? You know, how you really, uh, how do you really get that information? <laughs> so this well, is, this is Richard I Linklater. walked into that one, didn't I? Anyway, <laughs> talking, talking for a minute about that, that part of the process. With an incredible haircut. Really amazing. And it's very artistic. Why did you choose yeah. to go with this uh, technique? Well, I first saw um, some shorts Bob had done. You know, he'd been developing this software for a year, but it really struck me. It was like, it's real people, real gestures, real sound, the sound qualities, right. almost like documentary realism. And yet there's this whole other, your brain's trying to process, you know, it's real, but, but it's not there's real. this other, it's like a moving painting. So I had this idea for this movie I've been thinking about for years and years. And when I saw what Bob was doing, it made me think, okay, that's the way this film would work. It, would, it? it wouldn't work live action, but it did, worked. Did animated. you shoot it as a live? I mean, you mm-hmm. obviously have to shoot it. Did you yeah. shoot it the same way you would have shot it if it would be were live action? Pretty much. It was, it was quicker, but we shot it. Yeah, because you can cast, fix stuff. If you cast, get... rehearsed, shot, right. and edited, locked picture like a real movie. You edit before mm-hmm. you rotoscope. Oh yeah, interesting. So well, it's done. It, it took so much time to yeah, you animate. Want extra animation. Yeah, you're not going to animate 20 hours and then edit your movie. You, you had it. All the frames were edited, and then and then we started with the with the animation. But so, so Bob, tell me about this. Is using a technique called rotoscoping. What exactly is happening? Here? Yeah, we thought, we've been calling it interpolated rotoscoping because rotoscoping has been around since the beginning of animation, and that's just essentially tracing on top of film frames. Right. Uh, we're doing that, but their software helps helps the artist a little bit in that you don't have to draw every line of every frame. You have to do 24 frames a second. Right. right for the computer whole movie. can make up some of the in betweening. Right. Why, what was this about, Richard, about the story that you thought it fit better to do it this way? Well, the film's arguably like in another realm of, you know, reality. Uh-huh. It's kind of a realistic depiction probably of an unreality. Mm-hmm. And I thought film's a very realistic medium. It's, yeah. you know, photorealism. And the film in my head didn't really work that way. But with the animation, it, it your brain sort of works overtime right. processing it in that way. That's very interesting. Were you struggling anyway. with producing this movie? I mean, were you saying, how am I going to make no, this a film? I just wasn't even attempting it because it didn't work. I was, you know, making other movies and stuff, right. but I would known Bob for a while and his producing partner, Tommy, I'd been working with for years and years. So it wasn't like a big commercial undertaking. It was like this little art project, right. you know, we started doing, we didn't really, it wasn't conventionally scripted or, or, you know, but it was great. It was a great forum for a lot of people, cast and ultimately these 30 visual artists to express Well, that's what themselves. I like about it. It's not the yeah. same style all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Well, who are these artists? Um, they're mostly local artists from Austin, painters, uh, not really computer animators. They're not animators. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, because, you know, you're, you're getting all the motion off the video. What's really important is just a strong visual style. And people, you know, I picked people that just did their own art and would definitely have their own sort of visual voice. So every five minutes, the film style changes completely? Well, it's kind of scene by scene. Like okay. the, scene, the movie's a series of encounters, all these, about a lot of different people. So I love the idea that each person would be drawn so they'd be very different than the person before them and the person after them. I mean, most animated films feel like there's one designer. Right. You know, this is like I everything's, love, everything's this different. And, yeah. and yet it's a cohesive story. I mean, it's, yeah, not, yeah. it's not episodic. Let's take, yeah. a, let's take a little bit of a look at uh, one of the clips from the movie, mm-hmm. get an idea of what's going on. 
I, I love the fact that he brought up the in-between, which is something uh, that uh, people need to understand with the animation. An animator will only draw like the extreme action. So like, you know, me reeling back for a punch, me throwing the punch and, and connecting. And then an in-between. Yo, Andy, we'll go sit. off on this. I got to I gotta go run and take Audrey out because she's barking. We'll sit so there and draw the in-between. myself for a second. You know, uh, you know however many uh, frames that needs to make up for that that movement. Right. Um, so so uh, Jack Kirby, for example, was hired as an in-between artist on the old Popeye cartoons uh, before he started doing comics. Um, so so it's it's a, it's an old tradition. But the fact that the computer's doing kind of the in-between work is kind of fascinating um, that, that that they brought up. Well, I was thinking about the fact that it also visually kind of um, plays like a mixtape or something, right? Like in the same way that I'm trying to think of, uh, I mean, heavy metal, I guess, kind of does that a little bit with like the different styles, uh, yeah. but much, much more dumbly, <laughs> I think. <laughs> and, I, and I say that I, as I someone love, with yeah. peace and love, peace and love, but heavy metal is pretty dumb. It is. Uh, and 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 I, I think that it's, I think it's, it's more... Right. It's it's more thought of as as more of these um, liquid televisions, perfect example. Right. Or cake or any of the more recent uh, derivations and permutations of that where, where it's basically like a, a, a series of shorts. And so you have this uh, confluence of different styles and things along those lines. But I think it's I think it works really well in this again because of the subject matter that it is like different styles in there. I think that actually helps. Yeah, yeah, I think that's also one of the, the strengths of this movie is is you know the way they shift um you know to, to a little more flat colors or, or whatever like like I really appreciate that because like I said I felt um there's something almost kind of cheating with uh with a scanner darkly I felt uh and it's hmm. weird because even though this movie came out years beforehand it, it almost feels more advanced in, in that way uh, that they have the different artists working on it and I get that you don't necessarily want that with a scanner darkly where where it's you know a continuing narrative I, I i think that would be jarring and scanner darkly but i, yeah. I see where you would feel that way uh, yeah and i feel about all that sorry i mean i don't i don't like i i don't know i mean i just like i i just feel like i i see for the character guard and you know our decisions are made by justice andrew world yes. yeah i mean i mean my like my level of like you know watching this like visually is like oh that looks cool well, you said you've seen it a lot, and I didn't realize you're going to be able to quote it verbatim from memory, <laughs> which I was like, "Wow, he has seen this a lot." Which no, I, I've I, seen a lot too, but I, I have seen it a ton. Uh, you know, probably over the course of like I don't know, 15 years or something. But the, uh, um, but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, like again, it's it's like definitely, you know, the you know, I mean, definitely the way the rotoscoping is done, and everything does like give it this like nice dreamy weird you know quality but like you know that sentence is about the level of commentary that i could give on that right i mean like i think that like all the stuff they talk about right you know like like i could say stuff about that you know everything that the um like the the sort of as like a story and i've heard everything but like i i don't know it's, it's like the uh it's it's like the like i uh you know like i really you know I really like whiskey, but like when I try to like be like, I, I don't know, it's like, you know. <laughs> well, it's, it's like a, me talking about architecture, right? Where it's like, I love it. <laughs> I'm not an expert on it, but I love what I love on it. Yeah, you know, I, I get that. You know, yeah. like, and that's so, so yeah, I, I definitely, it's like, I don't know. I could, it tastes, you know, good. You, you don't need, <laughs> it tastes uh, good. 
Dash Ben Burgess. That's the review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like, so, this should be the same thing. I, I don't know. It looks cool. Well, so so let's so so why don't very we... disconcerting live action that looks cool. In the, uh, in the yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'll stand by the fact that I think it looks like a cool public access show that way. But that that's I mean that as a compliment and, and an insult at the same time. Sure, sure, uh, sure. Can we talk about the visuals specifically in regards to the extended play of the the ant scene? Like that he's going uh, down into in the, in the subway and like you know the the, the girl stops him. And like, you know, does the whole spiel about it, like not being an ant with like, you know, antenna down, et cetera, et cetera. And that turns to the extended scene, which is then revealed yet again to be a dream where you gradually start to see like the visuals get a little crazier. Like her hair is kind of like going, mm-hmm. going all cattywampus, as uh, my grandpa used to say. And uh, it's starting to, to look a little, a little crazy. I, I think that for me. On repeated viewings, I kind of appreciate small things like that like a, a little more and and I and I noticed them and it kind of I didn't realize at the time uh how hard the animators had worked to sort of support the scene in that way and support was being discussed and and the fluidity of of that. Oh yeah, uh, like the the guy talked about the light switch if you watch his shirt, he has a light switch uh light bulb uh pin on his yeah, jacket yeah. and it lights yeah. up through the scene. Yeah. You know, it gets brighter and darker as the scene's going on. Yeah, that stuff's great. And that stuff, you know, rewards multiple viewings and things along those lines. But I, I mean, from a from a standpoint of like what works in this movie and still works now and like what like is, is pressure and what it kind of like seems like outmoded and artifact of its time. Uh, I, I think actually in the social media age, that scene actually kind of hits harder. Right. Like, you know, uh, everyone just like doom scrolling uh-huh. away for like the latest <laughs> But, but I mean, that kind of was a bit of the, the the alienation was part of that zeitgeist of that era. Like, like there was That's an true. optimism to to it, but there was still that alienation. Um, which yeah, I, there was I think hope we all kind of felt. Then. There was at least <laughs> Domitian in the in the distance, but it was hope nonetheless. Um, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I remember you know listening to to you know somewhat pop radio and, and thinking like, oh, there's there's potential here. Like, like is Bombo Number Five the greatest song I ever heard? No, but like you know. <laughs> Will, will we will we get that's other, the one huh that's your okay. i don't know um don't still my sunshine i don't know i was listening to weird ass stuff at the, at the time but you um, amaze me justice andrew world that's yes <laughs> but, but you know just just like i remember like like that the the music being so kind of eclectic and 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 just like blending of everything it was interesting it wasn't there yet for me, but but I was just like, this is what I think the future of music is. And then you know, we had the complete, you know, um Lol, uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, speaking of someone that was like actively touring and making music at that time, I can assure you that was it was nothing like that on the on the ground at all. But uh, you know, hey, but one can live in hope. Yeah, I was also like seeing like independent acts at the same time. So so like um, you know, Da Vinci's notebook, which was this weird ass acapella <laughs> band. Um, uh, they, they were getting like um, major labels were, were recording them at the time. So, so like, like there was something in the air, um, uh, even though, you know, never quite came to anything, but, but there was something in the air. All right. Forrest, over to you. There was something in the air. <laughs> There's something in the air that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. 
So I don't. I mean, I don't know where the conversation went when I was. Well, we we talked. We're talking more about rotoscoping. Talk about the visuals. We talked about. Uh, I specifically brought up the visuals in terms of the uh, the the ant scene with the woman that kind of gradually the visuals kind of. Uh, I felt personally kind of su supported the the mood and the, the what was being discussed and things along those lines. And that's then it turned into whatever the hell Andy was talking about. Yeah, <laughs> Mambo number five. Mambo number five, apparently, like surprising to everybody except for him. Yeah, so it, it it gets kind of subsumed from there into the conversation about death, and I guess that's kind of the last. It's kind uh, of the joiner piece, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? death and death and God, right? Like those the those are the two things that you know the last part is uh, death, God, and taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> is uh, is about right. I mean, like that's the um, uh, the and like this. I guess, especially at the end with the, uh, the, uh, the like pinball, uh, pinball machine, like, uh, see when they're talking about Valis, uh, which, which by the way, like has, has always, you know, it's all, it's clearly, you know, it's clearly not happening, you know, but for the last uh, 16 years since Scattered Darkly came out, I've been really wanting Linkwater to make a Valis movie, like in the same, uh, <laughs> the same style. I actually think that'd be amazing, but, um, I, I would be on board for that and would support that Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking to see if I could pull the book out in time, but I'm not. The bookcase is too big. I'm not able to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, really no. interesting. Also, the next movie he did after Waking Life was School of Rock, which I always forget is a Linklater movie, but is like yeah. one of the strangest mu music movies of all time because it's literally just Jack Black being a music for teacher. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they don't up his game in terms of like the music he plays. But, but, <laughs> but well, exactly. There's, there's the character develop. Well, that's a whole separate discussion. I'm not going to get into that. But like. It is a plotted movie, which when he talked about in that clip, before so you played, he talked about it, you know, like the sort of like it being like an unconventional, mm. you know, non-plotted movie. I think the vast majority of his filmography at this point is like the before series as you know, brilliant as it is, it's like, Boyhood. it's like Boyhood's perfect example. Um, all of his movies, like for the most part, at least the ones that people think of when they, when they think of his movies, um, all are a little unorthodox in that way. And I think the, the examples I could think of that were, were not those were Dazed and Confused and School of Rock. Those are the two I can think of off the top of my head. Well, Dazed and Confused is interesting, right? Because it's not a conventionally plotted movie either, really. I mean, it kind of follows a whole bunch of different people going to the same high school and they all end up at the same party. But like, you're kind of following it through a bunch of different plot like a bunch of different narratives like but I mean, it's and, and, and american are, graffiti though it's it's like there's a tradition of that no there, yeah. there there is a tradition but it's also like i think that what he's doing with the dazed and confused is a little bit different like dazed and confused is almost like the missing link between american graffiti and waking life like that there are, yeah. there, are there are like conversations and dazed and confused that like could have been waking life scenes you know the whole right, thing about yeah. the uh the martha washington with like you know get a big bowl together for, you know, for George when he got home and, you know, like all of, uh, all it's of that. It's a great scene. <laughs> Have you seen yeah. Slacker, Japan? No. Okay. Okay. Cause, cause, uh, Slacker is very much like waking life. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, some people uncharitably say that Slacker is waking life without rotoscoping. I, I don't feel that that's true. No. I yeah. That, I, I think, I think waking, true, you know, but... Slacker is more of a, a portrait of Austin, which is a very yeah. different film. Um, but, but like it, it also, um, one of my big complaints about uh, Slacker was the fact that it was like, oh, he just read a philosophy book, was like really excited about it, and wanted to tell <laughs> people, and, and, and that's and everybody in the movie kind of speaks. To Ben's like, what's wrong with that? That sounds good. <laughs> like, yeah, I watched that. Yeah, <laughs> copy's still available. Yeah. Um, no, no, and, and and like like I don't think it worked for that as a movie to, to, to paint a picture of Austin. 
Whereas, whereas in this one, where, where people are speaking in the same voice, kind of lends to the whole dream effect of like the whole fact that, that you know, it, this is probably all just a dream because he's dead, was killed in the car accident at the beginning of the movie and, and um, doesn't quite realize it yet. Yeah, but he also yeah, gets well, the look, don't look or whatever, look over there napkin or yeah. whatever that he looks at. Like you could assume that that might have been part of his dream too. Like it's kind of. Yeah, like like maybe maybe that that was a that was like a, a sort of like the that was like the first dream you know which was the one that was like just like a slightly like mixed up surreal version of the accident that killed him, but yeah so this is this is set in the land of the dead rather than Austin uh, insert your own joke here but uh, <laughs> yeah and, uh, you can't you can't insert a joke you know you just have to make sure that the burrito doesn't get a. otherwise the guy that clearly does not own a boat car. <laughs> we'll, uh, get out of here. Yeah. yeah exactly so uh the uh the end um you know the end of the movie you know the, the guy that you know pinball machine uh is i mean it's gotten more and more obvious you know the protagonist is unable like in the in the uh in the ant scene like he's unable to remember what his name is yeah. uh you know okay. he, uh and um and then, uh, and at the end, the guy at the at the pinball machine is is telling him about Philip K. Dick and Dallas, which I, is part of the reason probably I connected so much to this movie because, like, I love that novel. Like, um, same, I, yeah. Um, that, that was one of the best things about being from Oakland is like, and, and being so into Philip K. Dick. I walk past Children's Playland like all the time. I'm like, that's from you know. I would like name like the books <laughs> that were referenced. Like, it's the only we used to practice like North Berkeley, and I was like. Philip K. Dick used to live right over there. And everyone's like, we don't care. And I'm like, this is a big deal. You don't understand what a big deal it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and in a similar way, I think they, they have monuments to Link Ladder throughout Austin. Like I went, um, when I went to Austin back in June, uh, the first place I really stopped at to get food had a giant slacker, the the, the girl from Slacker, like that was in um, Butthole Surfers. It had a, a giant uh, mural of her just in the middle of fucking Austin. And I was like, oh shit. I should watch Slacker now. And then, you know, months later I did. But <laughs> And lo, yeah. you did. What a true success story with no drawbacks. <laughs> uh, additionally, I would say that, uh, remember, Richard Linklater made those awesome anti-Ted Cruz ads, right? So talk about... Love you, like, yeah, Ted. Like, you know, <laughs> the, the, that character, I guess the guy is in Bernie, which is one of the only ones I've not seen from Richard Linklater. But oh, like, they're a really long time ago. I, I I forgot that that was a Linklater movie too. That was another one. Yeah, I, I, black work is what I forget. I think that he directed. But but like as ads, they're they're super effective just by nature. Well, obviously not effective enough, but by nature the fact that like to a certain type of of Texan, like uh, he's like a local hero made good, right? So it's right. like, and he he wasn't a dude that was like endorsing in every election and like and being involved with. It. I mean, to to the point of like criticism honestly like uh for for many years like saying like oh he's a sideline sitter or he doesn't care or whatever and then like the fact uh, that it's like you know again beto had a lot of problems but like you know good ads in his favor against ted cruz were not one of them because those were freaking hilarious and i say that as, <laughs> as a not a, i was not a fan of ted cruz before he was ever in the senate so like yeah liking that guy yeah. for a long time my uh, yeah. my my beto my beto theory is just that he doesn't want to get a job at this point, or <laughs> he just keeps running for shit in Texas because he's like, listen, 
I, it's either this or like I get a job somewhere and I, I can't. He's got to pay off that campaign debt, you know. But if he keeps running for office, he can't. So it's a big scheme. You know, yeah, but it's like, I, 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 I have to table. I can't jump on a table at an office. Like I, I have to jump on a table and I can't do it at an office and it fucking sucks. So let me just keep yeah, running. I office. keep getting kicked out of McDonald's. So I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. I, I have to admit, ben, like, I, just, I, just, I just wrote this thing for the, the Daily Beast probably coming out this week where like I like looking back at the 2020 election. And, and I think I, like, other than, like, the sort of, like, super marginal people, like, I think, like, almost every single candidate is name-checked in that article. And as we were talking just now, it's like, oh, fuck, I forgot the beta existed. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and and here's what's messed up. He's running against... I mean, pretty much you can call him at that point, you know? Like, it's they, they no. kind of blended. No, they blended into, like, a, a single white guy organism to bash <laughs> Bernie at some point. No. No. I, I, I don't want to get into it, but no. But like <laughs> that guy is literally running against the Republican governor of Texas right now. Awesome. But yeah. which which is so, so, somewhere in Texas at this very moment he's standing at a table. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he Let me stand on this table and explain to you the power grid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and like it, to me, that's a once more into the breach kind mm. of kind of thing, and that actually some of the shine that got like uh, taken off uh, when he listen to you got bad advice and listen to a bunch of people that said he should run for president that that makes me kind of like be more in his favor because i mean let's let's charitably say that's going to be an uphill battle sure yeah and and like is he a goober yes like would it be a hundred thousand times better than that horrible nefarious character of course he would well that was the thing because like when he was when he was running uh in uh, for for senate in texas like like everybody like you know like, like if he were like um like yeah, you know the like I was like I had like somewhat warm feelings about Beto O'Rourke at that point. It's like you know fucking everybody yeah. did because it's like okay, well you know yeah, I mean, get like, him, he, get his ass. You know, yeah, like, yeah, he's not great. There's but I mean, like, I'll take it, you know, like yeah. uh, there were there then, were a couple yeah. weird there were a couple weird warning signs like when he was really 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 into TPP, and it was like it was like oh maybe 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 this trade deal is not like what you want to emphasize right. in the Senate campaign. No, no, I, I mean like. like, 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 like Beto was Beto was bad, but like he has a but like when he was. Well, I didn't know like, he was bad at that point, right? Because well, he kind of was pro Medicare for all for a short amount of time. Like he seemed like he was. He said he. Well, was okay, right, hold on. Like, it's not about checking off issues, right? We're talking yeah, no, no. about like uh, yeah, it's those warm and fuzzy feelings you got whenever Bill de Blasio was running in 2014. Like, like, like you know, you're just like, okay, this guy might be, you know, this guy seems pretty good, uh, you know, better than than Bloomberg. Yeah, which is which is funny because I actually remember during that election. Better than Bloomberg. A, Put it on my tombstone. Yeah. Well, I've never had a uh, Ghislaine Maxwell picture. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, during the like when De Blasio was like gearing up to run the first time, I remember I was at this this con- I was in uh, I was in Cuba. I was at a conference at the you know University of Havana, and like so it's like standing around with like all these people who are like you know I don't know I mean I would assume you know communists and like and like i'm and like everybody's like oh yeah you know de blasio you know it's like you know, let's we'll, we'll see how it goes that could be good you know like that sounds like everybody's like giving you know giving him all this credit you know that uh he hadn't really done anything to earn but it, like just because of like what what ed is talking about but but has to do with have, like you I get a very warm feeling towards de blasio because eric adams is just the worst person i've ever seen like not the worst can't like politician i've ever seen eric adams is the worst 
person I've ever seen. But go ahead, Conan. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, there's. I think there's a certain suspension of critical thinking that happens yeah. when you have a villain that is odious as, say, Ted Cruz is or something along those lines, that you're just like, you don't want to know like anything that's going to... You want to, be, to go get him. Get his ass. Get his ass. Like, I don't care if you're like someone that agrees with me on everything. I don't care if you're going to be in there and I'm going to like spend my entire time like treating you like Kristen Cinema, right? Doesn't matter. Get his ass. <laughs> and there's something to be said for that. And I think the, I think the modern left could actually do itself a yeah. lot more favors yep. by adopting that attitude and realizing, uh, you know, temporary alliances are just that temporary alliances. But you can just you don't have to speak everything that comes into your mind also. Wait, what? Yeah, I mean, Shocking, Bernie right? Sanders read this book in 2016. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but like, yeah, is is it? You know, like whatever. We could we could I could do a whole podcast about Beto O'Rourke. I think he's a fascinating character. Yeah, and it pisses and, and, me and, off. He's the first person in American politics that comes from punk rock, and it's that guy. And that's uh, hackers. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What about um uh, Martin O'Malley? There's Martin. kind of a punk Irish thing. Nah, no, there isn't. I mean, no, no. But he does come from the wire. It wasn't, um, yeah, like no, the, uh, no, the, the wire. Yeah. I yeah, want I mean, I mean, Martin O'Malley. It was. A, I want to jump into the letterbox one-liners. The last thing I'll say though is the reason that I brought up the Medicare for All thing with Beto is that when he ran against Ted Cruz, he kind of took this like progressive, very progressive stance right. towards things. Right? He was like, "Oh, I'm a big fan of Medicare for All. I'm like this yeah. you know, former right. hacker guy. I'm interesting." And then, but then there were just these little cracks. Like he just got really aggressive about TPP, and it's like that's not. Are, yeah, it was. Is that your yeah. issue? Is that your issue? Is that the issue you want yeah, to? That's really... your thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I mean, bef before you do the letterbox one-liners, I was just going to say, like, I think that the big thing is, like, so there's all this stuff about, you know, religious mysticism, you know, the holy moment, uh, you Joseph know, Campbell, which is, you know, just you know, Kierkegaard, sweep me up, all this stuff, leading up to the Vallis, um, the Vallis scene, and which is all about. Uh, saying yes to God and like, you know, I want to be with you and, you know, heaven and, and, uh, and the protagonist, you know, like that's his, like, that's kind of his opportunity to like do it. Right. I mean, like the whole movie he's essentially been in, in, um, not purgatory cause he's not being tortured, but he's like in the, uh, in, like he's in like the Bardo, right? Like he, uh, it's like, you know, wandering around like, like on the, on the edge and he could be, uh, what, what are we? Really is that the jello bafara for mayor yeah all right yeah yeah <laughs> uh i uh yeah i love that guy yeah. uh but he has uh that one I that one's see. not showing can't up see it. yeah there's too much shine okay we can't we can't read it yeah jello biafra way better than what uh his band became oh yeah post jello biafra dead cat it is pointless but oh my um, god but like like have you seen their posts like they, they, they're just like i'm still with her kind of stuff no no no, no. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Look, there a I had to cover Romney. this in Protonic. I don't want to get into it here, but East Bay Ray. But like, yeah. Wasn't this, there a Mitt Romney, uh, Dick Kennedy's post at one point? They just, I, it, I it's hope the so. Same, <laughs> That's it's amazing. East Bay, first of all, A, it's East Bay Ray. Secondly, he's just doing the same stuff that anybody that watches MSNBC every day does. But yeah, this. so these are two replicants. It says the man for the office, Jello, is, is the cool like one. And then a public official is only as good as his record. Vote Jello be off for San Francisco mayor in 1979. But yeah, that's the one that Which, doesn't show up on there. I, I remember. Um, but I knocked so, down half my set dressing here to uh, show you guys that. I so. saw, I saw <laughs> Jello be off for 
Beak in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, 2004. And it was like this crazy, like, like uninterrupted, like three hour rant, you know, that he just did. And uh, the thing, the detail that's always most stuck in my head is he said that the, um, there was a point where uh, the, uh, I think this didn't happen. I think he was outvoted on this within the band, but like there, like Oliver North had claimed that there was a Libyan, uh, there was like a Libyan hit squad that had infiltrated the United States to assassinate President Reagan, and they'd released this composite like sketch of the Libyan death squad, and uh, and so he wanted to make that their next album cover and uh, have the album be called Go Team Go. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> that, that's uh, I so okay. Since Joe Biafra was invoked, there's two things I want to say. First of all, Joe Biafra, uh, good dude. He uh, spent a lot of time um, being in the news for fighting for for expression and, and against mm-hmm. the, the censorships again, as, as mentioned, including Chipper Gore. Um, he also still goes out to shows. He's seen my bands before. He's he's come out, but I had the unique experience at a at a punk rock show of, of breaking news to Joe Biafra about the Mark Foley scandal because he's not an extremely online guy. So I got to describe all of that to Joe Biafra. I'm like, wow. <laughs> the high school me would be pretty stoked about this, and the adult me is still pretty stoked about it. I also almost was the general manager of Alternative Tentacles, but that's a story for a different day. We're doing letterbox reviews right now. Forrest, play the theme we don't have. Wait, Ben, are you done with what you wanted to say about? All I was going to say is that like that's kind of like that's that's the sort of moment of decision at the end of the movie. But then what he decides is that he. He's going to keep, continue to want to keep on wandering around the wilderness because he's not quite prepared to admit that he's dead yet. And yeah. so, right. you know, as the movie, you know, as the movie ends, he's still there. So in a sense, like that is extremely plotless because he had a chance to like actually, you know, actually break out of that. He does it. But, you know, it, it, I think somehow it still works. And and there's, I mean, it's it's funny that it's Linkladder that's kind of the person trying to explain this to him. And he's like, yeah, 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 if you can wake up, you know, you can try, but here's a story about Philip K. Dick and, you know, all like all the stuff I saw, like, I'm pretty much dead, like, just explaining to you that fact, like, and it ends up being this, I don't know. It, um, But, but yeah, um, I, I think that, I think that it's kind of telling that it's Linkladder that kind of plays that character and uh, kind of tries to explain things to him and he's still kind of unable to um he's actually unable to like even recognize the fact that he is dead or that might be a thing and he's still trying to wake up and it's kind of like an awkward like you know that whole story happens and he's like not really paying attention to it and he's like yo so you think i could still wake up and he's like i don't know try maybe i don't think maybe like (laughs) cook your burrito see if i care (laughs) absolutely all right, are we doing it now? Are we, yeah. It All right. Okay. Well, you said a couple minutes, so I was I was preparing to try to vamp, but I'm glad I don't have to. Waterbox <laughs> one liners. Yeah, I was gonna say to, 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 like when you get food delivery and it's like four degrees outside, and they say they left the food outside. Chances are you should probably get it sooner rather than later. Uh, so anyway. Letterbox, place for film, bottom up democracy, the only social media site that personally I like. Uh, it is a place where everyone gets their say, not just the uh, the Siskels and Eberts and such. Everybody gets to uh, opine. They get to crack wise. They get to have thoughtful discussions at times. And the bit is every movie that we cover on this show, 
I go through and pull the ones that I think are the most interesting, baffling, oblique, hilarious, usually in the one-liner format. So that's what this is. The Letterboxd one-liners for Waking Life. Forrest, take us away. I kind of want to give this five stars for how good of a watch this was. But the other hand is just NPC dialogue for an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> Nailed it. It re I really just is. Like, especially once he realizes he's dreaming, it gets so much worse because everybody's, he's like, he's like you, you're, you're in my dream. You're not like a real person. What's that like? And then they, they can't answer because of course they can't. It's like an NPC. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't have programmer for that line, sir. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> This should have been called Ending Life, because that's what I wanted to do throughout this entire movie. <laughs> oh, Which are. I do not agree, but respect the game. That's, that's, yes. that's, that's, a, that's, a great, that's a great review. They were dead the whole time anyway. What a trip, dog. <laughs> what? I mean, that is probably the ideal waking life viewer. <laughs> right? yeah. who's, who's too high to punctuate. And you got to read it just like uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, what a trip, dog. There's, yeah. there's, there's that moment. There's that moment where he's like, "I've been in this forever, and I can't get out of it." And I was thinking about like all the times I've been on acid, and it's been like 18 hours into it, and the acid is just like someone that's gotten it from a connect that's too strong, and you're just sitting there, and you're like, "No, this is 18 hours. I don't know if I'm ever gonna have a normal like existence again. I might be schizophrenic now. Like, I want to get out of this." That's how I felt on the Murder Night Extravaganza wrap up. <laughs> uh, that's how I feel right now doing the Murder Night Extravaganza wrap up <laughs> which is still happening in alternate universe yes <laughs> if my dreams were anything like this I would do whatever it takes to never sleep again <laughs> plum Lyle there Man, I would love if my dreams were like this <laughs> yeah yeah I, I again disagree disagree exactly podcast about lucid dreaming but you're tripping balls the entire time yeah. Welcome to the Joe Rogan experience. Um, <laughs> Beneath your chair is a tab of acid. Please take it and experience this podcast like nobody else has before. <laughs> the idea is to remain in a state of departure while always arriving. He's such he's such an upbeat, pretentious douche in that scene, too. He's like, the idea is oh, yeah. to remain... Like, he goes through that whole speech and no one else is talking in the car. And he's he's like, he's like, I might not understand it. I might not agree with it, but I let it happen. I'm a passive observer. And it's like, yeah, I yeah, bet you are, buddy. He's real <laughs> into talking about it, yeah. <laughs> WTF, the animation is so cool, and the topics are wild. <laughs> Five stars by Lil. You know what? If I if I saw that review and I'd never seen it, yeah, I would, I would watch it based on that. I'd be like, all right. Yeah. Everything, everything in that sentence is true. Fans yeah. of Dreaming will love this one. Sure. <laughs> I like, but, but only four and a half stars. because Only not four and a half stars. Dreaming, you're not going to like it. Exactly. That 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 half star that's docked is for the people that hate dreaming. <laughs> By the way, the, the the quote that we didn't touch on in this is um when they see the guy on the fucking telephone pole and he says uh oh well like he's like he's like what a stupid bastard and he's like well he's all action no theory we're all theory and no action. I that is a good line actually. Yeah, I forgot about line. that one until you mentioned it. That's everybody on Twitter. <laughs> Salsa dancing with my confusion. <laughs> Micah McFadden, which I, I I love that, and that's a throwaway line in a much longer soliloquy uh, on the, like the bridge. What are they on? What, what's yeah, going yeah. on? But yeah, drugs. They're on drugs. 
<laughs> it makes it so much funnier seeing it without without the rose trophy for that specific scene though because it's just some like creepy guy oh, on a bridge it looks so <laughs> mundane it looks so staggeringly mundane like there's nothing extraordinary about it yeah, yeah. the wow here right now <laughs> his hair isn't doing anything it's boring yeah. boo flicks light switch just to be safe no, I, I I feel that. That's I really after watching this movie, I actually did do that. I was like, all right, let's make, let's make sure. So those are the letterbox one liners for Waking Life. Letterbox, a place for film. Please follow the show, which is Forest uh, Movement Extravaganza. I am, of course, M Kona Neutron. You can follow me as well. J Justice Andrew World. Comment if you found a tab of acid on any one of his reviews. Uh, he's available as well. Ben Burgess is too cool for school and will no, not he's, join Letterboxd. He's, he's on Letterboxd. Oh, you are on there now. Yeah, yeah. Ben Burgess has like four followers, so go follow him. He needs a more yeah. than anyone. <laughs> In one review. I have one because I've only watched one movie since I uh, started Letterboxd. You're, you're, you're still watching American President? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's absolutely killing us in YouTube subs. So there you go. Oh, whatever. Uh, so <laughs> so folks folks that are on, uh, uh, fans of the show that are on Letterboxd, uh, follow Ben. Uh, it's just Ben Burgess, right? Like, I didn't yeah. look. Yeah. Um, and and make, him, make him feel loved so that he sticks around on the site and continues to provide <laughs> his analysis for free to you uh andy you got you got the thing yeah right? if you're watching right now on twitch make sure that you um subscribe and if you are thinking about subscribing uh but don't have the money but yet you're an amazon prime subscriber subscribe i just subscribed said subscribe way too much i'm just gonna say that right now i need to work on this bit um but uh <laughs> yeah that, that actually really does help out the channel so please please uh subscribe um if you uh are watching this later on youtube also, like, subscribe, do all the good YouTube stuff. Leave a comment, especially if you find that a tab vast. Hit the bell. You got to tell them to hit the bell. <laughs> yeah, hit the bell. Get the updates. Um, get that silver ring, baby. Let's go. <laughs> yes. And the most important thing, too, uh, we have a Patreon. Um, Patreon is there to get a really cool stuff, like um, uh, the bonus episode for uh, Monday's appearance on This Is Revolution. No, wait. Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Next Wednesday's oh. yeah, next, next Wednesday's Wednesday, appearance yes. with you and me on This Is Revolution and Varn. That should be fun. Yeah, we'll be seeing my friend Dave Pajo playing Gang of Four, so I regret nothing. No, we <laughs> should not regret anything with that. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> um, um, yeah, and also there, there's a bunch of other stuff that's going to be on there. Uh, we haven't announced all of it, but there's there's it, it's it's worth checking out. It's, it's worth checking out, people. Go push the button, hit the Patreon. <laughs> I, I got the papers. The papers are great. <laughs> Go pick up some supplements while you're at it. They don't want you to know. <laughs> they make you a real man. They give you titties. They give you, they give you titties. <laughs> HR, you're you're selling HRT to to people on the on the stream. <laughs> but was, was that the, was that the rest of the the, the bit, Andy? I, I, I don't know. My frogs are going good now. That came out of my mouth. And Turn to the frogs, gay. Sorry, it's. Yeah. No, Andy's turning the frogs trans. That's he right. That's he, right. Gets, he gets some titties. <laughs> but this is, this is the, uh, the the final thoughts portion of things. If anyone else... By the way, you're all... right, Andy. You do need to tighten that up. <laughs> <laughs> but we appreciate you nonetheless. Thank you. If if you know if you see other podcasts like Kenzo Shibata trying to you know say final thoughts, that's our bit. So you know, call him out on it. Um, ben, do you have final thoughts? Anything you want to add to this movie, or that you didn't get to, or uh, I mean, I'm sure there is, but yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Read Valis; it's a good book. 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> Th that's it? Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Conan? Keeping it succinct. All right. Well, I'm not going to keep it succinct. Uh, but that's, <laughs> that's okay. uh, it's a study in contrast, really. Um, so, uh, yeah, this I think this is a great film. Uh, I, I like Linkletter a lot. And this is a... I actually think it's actually a pretty good entry point. Like if you can, if you can hang with wake in life, you will probably dig his other stuff. And I, it, I had the astounding revelation too, again, of the, the before movies uh, with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi, the Jesse and Celine, who they have a really awesome uh, cameo, I guess you would call it crossover, you know, the link letter expanded universe uh, in, in this film. I, I, I absolutely adore those movies. And I, before I was like, Huh? Who are these people? Why do I care? Like more than anything else. But then like, I was like, <gasps> like in the way that like, you know, like the, the meme, the, um, the Tarantino movie with the Hollywood. Uh, What's yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thank yeah, you. Was, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, was totally, I was totally doing that. Yeah, exactly. That was me. That was me on the, on the couch being stoked to Julie Delphi and Ethan Hawke being on screen as their characters from uh, before sunrise. Uh, and there's uh, so many ideas that, that are thrown out here. I mean, it's easy to make a meme of that or like make light of it. I actually love movies that like kind of throw that at you and sort of make you think, you know, shocking. I'm into a movie about critical thinking. Right. But like, I, I think this is a very well done film that sits nicely in the pantheon of those styles of movies while also kind of being pretty unique as well. I can't really think of any movie that's quite like this. I, th I think movies kind of emulated or like nearby or neighbors adjacent to it. Waking Life is a good movie and it's not perfect. It is not perfect, but really when it comes down to it, I mean, it doesn't need to be perfect because it's asking the questions. They're just asking questions, people. <laughs> and uh, the fact that people fix do your it own on, research, Let's, do you your know. own research. And uh, <laughs> lastly, uh, no, man, I don't have a boat car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Conan Neutron. He, he's the guy with the boat car. Um, <laughs> Andy, free kitty frog world. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, like, um, this was a much more enjoyable film than Slacker. It, it embraced all the problems I had with Slacker, right? Like, everything that I, I think didn't I didn't hear like any work. Kennedy assassination rhetoric, so I don't agree. <laughs> um, no, but see, that scene worked. No, but, but like, the things that didn't work in Slacker, he actually leaned into it in this movie and made it work. It, it, it's kind of interesting because um, I, 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 I was that. a little, I, I think I was a good a little critical yeah. uh, of, of Slacker when we did our episode and, and I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's just, you know, it's, it's an imperfect, you know, uh, ephemera of, of a point in time. And yeah. um, this, this is like uh, basically like, you know, it's, it's 10 years after slacker, he, you know, Linklater as a filmmaker, as, as a human has, has like evolved to this point where he's doing a much stronger piece where he can do like, Oh, I just read this really cool philosophy book. I want to tell you all about it thing but make it actually work as in cards uh, regards of um, whatever story there happens to be. And I mean, it, there is something loosely of a story. Like, like, like you don't necessarily tell what it is until you get to the end, but you know, it's there. there yeah. Is I mean, he has there. a beginning and an ending that kind of loops together. So, I mean, yeah, you know. it's, it's a little more focused than what Slacker was. Um, and, and like I said, I'm not, I'm not you know, I, I didn't love Slacker, but I'm not saying it's a bad film or anything like that either. So we got so we got a full two hours of Matthew Film Guy explaining to us why he thinks it's like one of the best films he's ever seen. And, and I kind of disagreed with some of it, but <laughs> wow. yeah, we, we love Matthew, but yeah. 
<laughs> Which, by the way, I, I wanted peace to say love, the, peace and love. <laughs> he, he has he has his big uh, letterbox following. The other person has a big letterbox following is uh, Matt Chrisman, and like he does a lot of the like the snappy ones. Uh, he he and Nando do a lot of the snappy ones, but but um, but I expected that his uh, Black Swan one would be snappy, and it was like an essay. Like it was just literally like I think it was like a thousand words on like the different parts of Black Swan, and I was like. Oh fuck! This is not what I, I don't want to read all this. <laughs> I mean, I I, I, t- I tend to do. I won't call it long form. I tend to do mid form myself. So I'm what I'm not going to play or hate on that. Like, but yeah, but I, he, I get it. Yeah. He's one of those like you know. I mean, he does those he does fast snappy reviews on there a lot. And it's like when someone gets very sincere about the movies that they just watch, it's like, oh fuck. <laughs> well, yeah. he was also on that site before there was a Chapo Trap House. Yeah, yeah. So, and some of those reviews are from that. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah. So, so I, I think I misinterpreted the uh, the snappiness level was appropriate for final thoughts. So I guess I'll just say this: uh, that the, um, I, I mean, I guess waking. One of the things that makes waking life unique to me is that more so, I think, in a way than like you know other movies that I've seen a million times, and you know that I'll I'll you know I'll get excited you know about watching you know, about watching a billionth and once time, you know, like, like, you know, of which, you know, there are many such cases, you know, like, and, and it's, it's all, it's all the shit that you'd expect from somebody who's like, you know, whatever, like my age and background and <laughs> all of that stuff, you know, that, that, you know, I, I, I Tarantino, Scorsese, like shit like that. Right. You know, like I, I'm very predictable, but the, um, but, uh, but I think more than any of that stuff, waking life, like, even though I've seen it an ungodly number of times, like it always feels like a different kind of experience than watching just about any other movie, you know? So it's like, kind of like turn the lights off and watch waking life. That's like a little, I don't know. It's like, I'm like microdosing something, you know, by, uh, by watching it. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just a, it's just a per- very particular vibe. Right. So like, like I, I had, um, you know, like, so like when we were talking about this, you know, I, I got, um, it's like, oh shit, I get to, you know, I'm good excuse to watch Waking Life again. You know, like that's, yeah. uh, you know, that'll, uh, you know, that'll, that'll be fun because. Meanwhile, like, American it, president sitting there with only the first 20 minutes watch, just like <laughs> being like, why not me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it's, I think the atmosphere is so unique. I think that the, the fact that it is sort of plotless, but in a way that really works, um, like, um, so it, it just, um, like, like it, it is, it is in a very different, you know, category for me than, than watching, um, you know, than, than watching just about anything else. Like even, even by, you know, even other Linklater movies, even Scatter Darkly, right? You know, which 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 is like in a lot of ways, right? You know, it's like very, um, you know, the animation style, the fact, you know, the Philip K. Dick element, like that's like a, you know, the, um, well, actually, I guess the scene in Scatter Darkly I was like the most is the most waking life one, which is the uh, which is the uh, Frick trying to kill himself, and you oh, know, yeah. He, yeah, you know, is the uh, the the being from between dimensions comes to uh, to to with all the eyeballs comes to. Uh, to read him a list of his sin sins, <laughs> you know, a thousand later as they got to the eighth grade, the year Frick uh, discovered masturbation. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, 
Uh, but like, even as similar as like those movies are in some ways, I mean, I think just because like that's still like a traditional movie with a plot, you know, it's like a very different experience for me watching this. Yeah, and it feels like he he kind of referenced. I mean, Philip K. Dick to be like almost like I want to make a movie based on one of his books late, like later on, and then Scanner Darkly kind of fulfills that role. So I I feel like his I feel like Linklater's filmography kind of. Uh, has these lines that kind of go through it. And like, there's a line directly between Slacker and Waking Life, and there's a line directly between Waking Life and Scanner Darkly, which is fascinating. But uh, my my final thoughts are, the powers that be want us to be passive observers. And they haven't given us any other options besides uh, the occasional purely symbolic participatory act of voting. Do you want the puppet on the right or the puppet on the left? I feel like the time has come to project my own inadequacies and dissatisfactions onto the sociopolitical and scientific schemes. Let my own lack of a voice be heard.